the Koivig part. I mean, Arsenal already looked like they had three extra players. If they don't do anything really stupid or get a lot of injuries, I think they should be winning the league realistically. And subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right, it's bang on half past seven. It's Tuesday morning. It's a big, big day for the Republic of Ireland. The under-21s have an opportunity of qualifying for a tournament. That would be good. And uh, Stephen Kenny has the opportunity to shove it down your throats. Isn't that, isn't that what it's... Is that, that's how I'm reading all the papers today. It's like a... That's important. Yeah. Because that's all that's at stake. It's like, his job or not, the referendum must continue. This is a bit like one of those Putin referendums, really, where it's fake, you know? <laughs> it was funny. Vote, like, vote, we have a gun, vote. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, refer- the word Kenny, the words Kenny and referendum seem to be very, very linked. It's like Stephen Gerrard's Aston Villa. It's like the Stephen Kenny referendum. The words are just together and always will be. I don't think the FAI board are so thick to get rid of a manager before a campaign they've given him the job for. Like, they'd have to pay up this coaching group and then they have to find somebody else yeah like quickly and I don't know I mean come on this. so what I'm looking forward to tonight is a, an improved performance it's all about the performance isn't it not the result yeah um, well they, they need to win tonight but we, we, um, we an improved performance against a bad team will lead to a result 92nd ranked team in the world tonight visiting Dublin um, a team that are in absolute turmoil you're, not, a, like, you're a football man what, what, are you, what, are your, what are your mates saying what does your whatsapp group say uh, like the results, the results aren't there. They're not good enough. But I think people are enjoying watching the games more. Like I was in, like just reading the back of uh, the Irish Daily Star this morning. Paul Lennon was writing, but he was saying, uh, "Kenny flies with the FAI delegation to Frankfurt on Sunday week for the Euros group draw. Although defeat to the ninety-second ranked side in the world this evening would see him exit the five hundred fifty thousand euro per year job." I, like, I'm not so sure. I think. Yeah, that's a statement of fact. Is it yeah, a fact? Is that it is actually a fact, or is it just a, an opinion? It's an opinion, but but uh, presented as a fact. But but it's also uh, what some people think that that if he does lose tonight, he should be gone from the job. I don't think he should be or will be. And look, that we're going to get accused of, and myself and John Duggan on OTB Saturday have over the last couple of years been accused of being Kenny FM. Uh, oh, they, 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 it's already it's already sorry, it's, it's, a, it's a group yeah, it's a good yeah, thing yeah yeah so I'm I'm conscious that saying anything positive about Stephen Kenny is going to ignite those comments but um, it, yeah and maybe if he does if he does lose tonight obviously there's going to be a microscope placed on him again but you have to give him until March Damien Delaney even has been one of his I, w- I, w- I won't use the word critics but people who've maybe uh, it's, it's a fair word to yeah use. it's probably a fair word he's, he's maybe not understood why he's been given such a long tether Um and, but even he has said March is the March is the key. You know those couple of games, the start of the the, the Euro or the the next phase of qualification. That's when you decide. So it, they will win tonight. I think they'll. I think they will make a couple of goals tonight. I don't. I don't want to curse it. Um, but I think the performance was decent against Scotland. A good Scotland team as well. Um, nothing to be ashamed of. No. You're not agreeing? No, I agree with everything you're saying. I think yeah, we're, we're, we're trending in the right direction. The team is playing better football. They're they're developing understanding. <clears throat> We've strengthened depth. Like, you know, it's a far better situation we find ourselves in at the start of this qualifying campaign for the Euros than it is <clears throat> that the qualifying campaign, the last qualifying campaign that we had under uh, Martin O'Neill or indeed under Mick McCarthy. And like, what are we comparing him against? We, the, the, this is the thing, right. So the... The, the argument that we always have is referendum. The, Kenny's job, and it's an overarching conversation. I was listening to Joe and, and Dan McDonald on, on the show last night, and they were talking about how we maybe need to focus on specifics. And Gary Breen did it in his piece in the Irish Independent the other day, where he was talking about the fact that maybe does Kenny make substitutions too late? You know, well, the way we set up against Scotland, was it correct? Yeah, like, 
It, okay, fair enough. I, I understand that. And those conversations are all uh, worth having. But a lot of it is post-fact. Like, it, you know, the, 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 the Scottish team are slightly better than our team in terms of the minutes played in at a higher level of competition. Yeah. The, they're bringing players on who are fresh from Champions League against Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. That's their players on their bench. We have nobody on our bench who has played Champions League. Um, like, in, in the ebb and flow of that game, is there much that the manager can do? He brings on Seamus Coleman, who's, like, vastly experienced, and, uh, you know, there's, I don't know maybe because uh, Darty had to go off. Like... I, I get the point. We can definitely analyse the games. And if there's a trend that emerges over a long period of time, then you have to deal with it. But, and certainly Kenny's been criticised about his use of the bench in the past yeah. at various stages. But I think that like, um, if, you, if you track where Kenny was at the start and where Kenny is now, he is clearly improving as a manager. He is getting better. His yeah. team is playing better, more consistently. Uh, they're, they're more varied in their um, approach to the game. And again, like as you point out Scotland were better than us they had a better midfield yeah. than us so the notion that we can control that game like we we had to play uh, a bit of heavy metal football <laughs> that's what we were trying to do yeah because we don't have three ball playing we don't have a Thiago no. in our team we don't have the strength and depth but the, the problem the problem well, is specifically we don't have the ball players who are going to be able to take the pace out of the game for 10-15 minutes against Scotland yeah who are better than us <laughs> So, like, what are you trying to do? You're trying to defend really well and hit them on the counter-attack. And, I, I mean, I don't think it's much more complicated than that. No. Um, uh, and then you see, you, like, and again, the criticism uh, comes on, on Twitter last night because the lads were talking about Jeff Hendrick um, and him being an option and maybe bringing a bit of uh, distinction to that midfield and experience as well is probably another word to use with Jeff. But as soon as you, you post that opinion, and I guarantee it's going to start appearing in the comments on the YouTube stream right now, is... An absolute plethora of Irish fans who hate a strong word dislike Jeff Hendrick being in the team, like for what for whatever reason. I don't know why Jeff has this reputation. He's like he's a good player. He probably brings a bit of something to that Irish midfield. You know, Cullen is suspended for tonight's game. The the, the thing I'm worried about tonight, and look, Stephen Kenny's talked about the, his hopes for forty four thousand. I think I probably have my doubts. On, uh, as a few people have pointed out Tuesday night school night will they get 44,000 I'd be highly doubtful um, I don't know I mean I, I think that there's uh, people behind the team it's, it's yeah, a well, good night out as, as opposed to previous times where it was like oh god we're going to have to <laughs> like you need your 8 to 13 pints to um, yeah, to be able to sit there and endure it I like, think the, the hope is that what we too often do against even worse teams than ourselves at home is let them have the ball let them construct how the game is going to happen. Yeah. And, like, if we do that again tonight, I mean, if we do that again, that's, that's bad. It's poor. It there are many poor. things that can go wrong tonight. That is one of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I started off saying we'd win by two goals and you're, you're reading me back in. No, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm back in. Sorry, exactly, yeah. Talk. All right. Uh, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. The under-21s, obviously, tonight. Um, that game is, uh, I think, on... It's on one of the TV channels. Or uh, maybe it's on the players. It's Jonathan Wilson's going to join us in about uh, 15 minutes. Gavin Cooney's going to join us in studio at 10 past 8. Debbie Fitz is on the line at 8.30 uh, we've got sports news and we've got uh, Chris Jones at 10 past 9 explaining the Worcester Warriors and the explosion that's going on in uh, English club rugby at the moment that's not good for the game there and then Monday Night Rugby um, they were talking about uh, could Johnny Sexton replace perhaps Stuart Lancaster is it, is it that wild an idea I mean, I mean it's all very neat <laughs> the timing seems to work out quite well but 
Yeah, Lancaster's like, I think he's got other fish to fry at the moment, but that's not to say he couldn't do it. <laughs> no, he could do it. It's too soon for Johnny, I think. Uh, obviously, because he has a lot to focus on across the next year. But beyond that, I mean, but there's people like Rob McBride is another is a name mentioned. There, there are names already within Leinster who are coaches already who are capable of... Yeah, it's also good. Like, it's, a, it's a great job that anybody around the yeah. world would think, yeah, I'd be interested in that for various reasons. Lancaster set the bar high. Like he has set the bar remarkably high because I mean it was it's going to be seven years I think at Leinster, it's four years that he signed up to with with Racing as far as I believe so like he stays with he stays with provinces and clubs for for a significant period of time in which to change the culture yeah and that's what he's done at Leinster and listen uh, wherever he goes he's going to touch gold isn't he uh, Rick Jagger says this is the first time I've enjoyed watching Ireland play in twenty years Kenny has to stay lads we outplayed bloody Portugal I'm not sure we outplayed them. We certainly we uh, we we really held them. our own. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, turns out teams of equal quality playing in games that are not all that important still draws crowds and is a great watch. Germany, England, and Ireland, Scotland, great games. Take note, provincial councils. <laughs> the provincial councils are very aware of that, and that's why they don't want it. Because <laughs> then we'll all realise the provinces make no sense. They're anachronistic. It's uh, complete <laughs> nonsense, and uh, they should have been um, humanely dealt with a long time ago but unfortunately yeah. they haven't I, I, I have to say my, some of my, my best moments as a Monaghan fan in recent years have been watching them let, yeah, let yeah. tell that to the Armagh team who won one All-Ireland because they were so busy beating the shite out of Tyrone in provincial finals that ultimately they're like oh great I have all these uh, provincial medals and the Tyrone lads are like yeah. ching 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 oh, oh <laughs> I've got three I know I've got three but I think when you look back in your career you can say we were kingpins of Ulster for yeah yeah. And Toronto are like, yeah, team in the naughties, lads. But you have, to, you have to have won your All-Ireland to have that opinion, because like Monaghan haven't won their All-Ireland, so, when it, so you have to accept and appreciate the Ulsters. Uh, um, okay, so it's fake, is that what you're saying? Possibly, until you, until you win something bigger. Um, so yeah, it's I mean, it's not, it's not too late. Yeah. Uh, right, um, you're a Manchester United fan. You must be delighted that Harry Maguire is like, getting some football at the moment. It's great, Harry. Maybe, maybe somebody will come in now and they'll be interested in, in signing him because of the, on the back of his performances for England and it's gone quite well for the first 30 minutes. Is it, is it, how long did it last before he screws up? Is it 30 minutes? Yeah, it's funny. Like 50 w- minutes. 50 minutes, Colin says. No, he had a full, he had a good first half. They cl- the fans who started off booing him, had, he'd won them over. He's like, yeah, I'm back. Well, it's a multitude of fans because I read that as well this morning that like, they did boo him before the match but then there's a small section of supporters that start chanting his name as well um, probably United fans or maybe actually not United fans um, he uh, my brother and I were talking about this in the, in the car last night and his opinion is that maybe Harry has the yips that he's lost the ability temporarily or otherwise to play football the way he once did yeah um, I mean that would be very understandable considering he's become a figure of hate nationally yeah and, 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 and internationally he's a global figure of fun and I try to ba- I try to balance the the whole uh, Harry Maguire the comic figure uh, with Harry Maguire the human being who I know would be you know like anyone impacted by reading so much negativity around yourself but then you also tell yourself well he's paid a lot of money to do this yeah I don't think but, the money shields you from no from from social media no of course and, not. and from just from being a human being like it does it does compensate you for the crap that you have to put up with and then you need to find some way. You need to tap into some performance psychology or something. Somebody somewhere needs to help you to get out of the rush. And then and then you just go and do what you do in the second half where he concedes a penalty. I, Colin was like, I, I wouldn't blame him too much for the second goal. But yeah, absolutely, I think you have to do. He's, he's ball playing in midfield and then has it taken off him like a baby and then like retreats so far back that nobody's putting any pressure on Havertz. And great, okay, Havertz. I, I actually think that Pope gets like unfortunate a little bit 
Compensated. Yeah. Now, at the same time, the ball goes in off the, off the post. So. It's hard, yeah, it was hard to stop. Would have been hard to stop even if he'd seen it. But maybe if he'd had, um, somebody hadn't stood in his way, he might have had a chance. I think Maguire is to blame for both of those. And then, yeah, I, I would have said he's reasonably blamed for that second goal. And what, like the first, what the penalty is just. I mean, it's a tackle that I would have made. But it's a, not even the tackle. It's it's the, well, the tackle one hundred percent. But the, after the a few pass, points, yeah. But the pass was. He's trying to pass through a German footballer to get to Luke Shaw, and. It just time space continuum, but it's yeah. As a flat circle, he was looking for a wormhole or, or a parallel universe in which the ball was would be sucked through the German player's legs and, and go to Luke Shaw. That wasn't going to happen. And then the tackle was yeah. It, 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 actually, Jer, if you saw that in the Sunday League, if I saw that in the Sunday League at the weekend, I you'd be shouting at your own player. You'd be like, "What? Why? Just stand him up. Stand him up is the, like they're probably the three most common words shouted in Sunday League football. Just stand him up. I mean." Don't dive in. Obviously, don't give away a tackle. Don't kick his legs. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But like, he's doing it in Wembley uh, against Germany two months before a World Cup, where he's hacking down a German player and giving away what he knows is a penalty. I don't know why the referee went to VAR, by the way, because it was stonewalled from the second it happened. Because he wanted everybody to see it again and again and again and again. <laughs> again. It's like, yeah, add to the torture. And like, the this, this is a Pruder film here, folks. <laughs> I'm actually helping you all by, by making you all see that this could happen in a big game. Yeah. This isn't a big game, but it could happen in a big game. His um, his social media account this morning is, is interesting. So, just as a matter of interest, what would you do in this in this circumstance if you had like you know it's now tradition that you apologise on social media after a performance like that? What what would what would you do? What, go again. And how, what would the picture be? The picture would probably be a photo of me looking as dejected as possible, or else oh, you're, clapping you're, to the fans. You're clapping yeah. the fans. Well, you, maybe. Like Harry's one. Uh, so this is Harry Maguire's. This is Harry Maguire ninety three blue tick on Instagram from Wembley Stadium, and there's a picture of who's that? Mason Mount, Harry Kane, Bellingham behind Bellingham Walker in the distance. It's like where's where's Harry Maguire? Where's Harry? He's not. He's not a picture of Harry Maguire on his own. What's going on? <laughs> God, he's some some physical specimen, Harry Kane, isn't he? Look at those veins popping out. Uh, I mean, even the replies from some of his teammates, Alejandro Garnacho, a United teammate with a little love heart, Jack Grealish. I thought it was the monkey face with the hands over the eyes, but it's actually just the hands up and the love heart eyes. Right. Phil Neville goes, class, class act. act. Keep, keep going, going, Harry. Harry. Keep uh, going. Keep going. Harry Harry Kane? Keep going, Harry? Yeah, yeah. Who's, who's, sorry, can we just pull it back up again? Can we just pull it back up? That's Harry Maguire's Instagram has a picture of Harry Kane celebrating last night. Uh, uh, Mistakes yeah. are part of the game. Space, comma. I apologise, full stop. Great fight back and spirit to get us back into the game by the lads. Space, full stop. Space. Take the positives and look forward to Qatar. Space, full stop. The tough times will make us stronger. Lion, lion, lion. Three lions. Yeah, the the space before the full stop would indicate that this wasn't his PR team writing this. This Do you think think that's just... Because it's very consistent. It's consistent, but if you're a PR person or someone who is... uh, You're making obvious mistakes so that it looks like you've... Done it for the player. The players on. done it. You well, think maybe, you think sorry, they're yeah. you think they're playing checkers? These guys are playing chess. That's uh, sorry. Uh, Kathleen pointed this out. She was like, I had to look at this four or five times. Like, who who's this? Hang on, that's not the same person. What? Yeah. And it's true. You, you're flicking on your on your Insta feed, and you're like, oh, there's a picture like of Harry. It. You're gonna like it. Yeah. For the algorithm. Come on, Harry Kane. Yeah, Harry. Click, flick. And it's not one of those Instagram posts where there's four or five photos, and you flick through, and uh, and there's you're maybe right, a photo of Harry Maguire. Yeah. It's actually just the one photograph. Very, so it's interesting. It's very, very pointed and uh, clearly selected to be Harry Kane because if that, if that's a photo of Harry Maguire, he's getting more hit onto that post. 
Uh, England are a bit screwed, I think. Yeah. I have to say, I think England are a little bit screwed ahead of this World Cup. And maybe, again, maybe this is what they need in the build-up so it punctures the hype and they can they can go there with a bit of underdog spirit as opposed to, you know, they're, they're just beaten in the last tournament. Yeah. In, like, uh, difficult circumstances. And so, therefore, you would think the next tournament, which has rolled around really quickly, but they have no defenders who are fit and in form. Handy group is the only thing I would say in the World Cup. Bit of momentum. I know you love the word momentum, but... Uh, you know, that is something to think about, that they could top that group quite easily. Uh, now, the Welsh could beat them, of course, but uh, you just don't know what will happen between now and the eight weeks. Like, if if they can keep players fit, if they can maybe keep their centre-halves fit, if John Stones can recover from this hamstring injury in time, I don't know how serious it is or otherwise. Um, I don't know. Like, it... <laughs> Until Southgate does badly in a major tournament, you can't suggest that he's going to. I know the pressure's been on him, but the last two major tournaments have been have been brilliant from his perspective. So why wouldn't they trust him to do something and, and when the time comes, get it right? Uh, well, the time has come. It's eight weeks away <laughs> to the start of the World Cup. That's the other. Argument. And if you get a if you get an injury now, you're going to very likely not be in good enough form to be considered for the group stages. I thought in my head it's like oh, there's like there'll be three crappy friendlies before, and that's it. That's it. It's over. There's yeah. no more football there's at international level. No, there's countless games of like Carabao and uh, m- mediocre level European football for Luke Shaw. To look forward to. Mm. I don't think Luke Shaw should be in the team, by the way. I mean, I know the Man United fans out there are like, oh, he was really good last night. He played well. Well, by the way, also, Tyrell Malassia, the Dutchman keeping him out of the team, had an incredible pass in my ear. Incredible pass. (laughs) It was a good pass. He's a great great TikTok footballer. I thought Shaw. Absolutely sensational. I think that's harsh. I think Shaw was one of England's better players last night. Oh, yeah, the bar is low. I like the the way you lowered that bar again. But like, England's better players. If you're looking for positives from England, we're absolutely destroyed. For apart from a 15 minute period Bellingham and Should have been 3 or 4 nil, Like it should Should have Probably yeah yeah. And the scoreline probably If Timo Werner Wasn't Timo Werner <laughs> If he If like If he could just stick the ball Anywhere on target Yeah but if Harry Maguire Kick it wasn't, at Pope It turns out Will be the best thing to do He won't be in goals at the tournament, He won't be in goals the only He won't thing. be in goals Bellingham and Rice it, He's done Bellingham and Rice Have built up a nice Rapport between them Which wow. is very important In the set of midfield For a major tournament Bellingham might be the one Who drags the team Kicking yeah. and screaming Into the knockout stages And at that point That's all you need <laughs> Anything could happen At that stage Like there's a lot of England fans last night Talking Saying uh, in, I was reading a few Of the fan forums Last night um, Tuchel and Zidane Are currently sitting at home Watching all this Ready to go Ready to take over someone Take over England that's what they were shouting about. I mean, they were like, "Why don't we change now rather than?" Uh, I mean, Thomas put- Tuchel, you know, I, I, I would be on board with that if that happened. They're like, <laughs> yeah, he can't. He, he doesn't. He doesn't seem to have the uh, emotional connection with players for a long-term oh. relationship. But a short-term, whip them all into shape, do a World Cup, like. But it's not the it's not the crappiest idea I've ever heard. It's not gonna happen, is the It's obviously thing. not gonna happen. No. Why you know, not be like we can only dream. Um yeah, that type of thing would be fun. Oh the irony of a German winning the World Cup for England. But like it's delicious. Or maybe the FA wouldn't allow that. They wouldn't allow a German to, to take them over out of sheer spite, but yeah, I don't know. Things are things are changing pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, like I've seen stranger things have happened in football, but I like Gat Southgate will be in charge of the single team for the World Cup. I do wonder if um I do wonder if like 
Chelsea are suddenly going to have a, a lot more money to spend because of the relative strength of the dollar versus the pound. Mm. That's a, I mean, it's a, a, a and, and uh, you know what impact that's going to have on the power and spending power of the Premier League is going to be interesting over the next few years. Because yeah. anyway, we'll come back to that because there's too many other interesting things to talk about. Um, I want to talk briefly about Eddie Jones, uh, long term. Long-time viewers of the show, and we love Eddie Jones on this show. We're okay. going to be very disappointed when he um, takes his leave from the international. Will he ever take his leave? Yeah. But would you be terribly surprised if Eddie Jones was the American coach when the World Cup is in America? I wouldn't be terribly surprised. No, no not at all. But we we love giving out about him, but also the f- like he is the gift that keeps on giving. A bit like Harry Maguire, we we, we enjoy what he gives the media. I think well, I think fans at home love to he's a, get him he, as well. He's a genius at one level, but like great wits to madness are close aligned, near aligned. He he is in the papers today. What's he, what's he talking about? Has he got another book out? Is this book number six? Or is this which which of his like no, extra no. gigs? Is this coaching in in Japan? Is it is that what he's doing? Is yeah, this like being a TV pundit somewhere? What's he doing now? I think there's a 36 man training squad named for England, but uh, this is in the this is in the Times, the UK Times today, and 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 the headline is the headline is what got me in first of all, Jer. Uh, so good sports writing is not dead. That's true. Uh, Alex Lowe writes this piece in the Times: How Hunt for Bin Laden is inspiring Jones. England's head coach learns how US Navy SEALs react to adversity before the World Cup. So that got me obviously interested. I'm a guy who... I, I take it, like, I've read Rob O'Neill's book, the Navy SEAL the, with the Irish heritage who took the final shot and, and killed Osama bin Laden in that raid. Um, like, and fi- find it fascinating, um, if not a little bit terrifying, but the, just the complete attitude these guys have. But Eddie Jones has taken it a, a step further. So he uh, spent a couple of days out in San Diego about three weeks ago, he says. Um, and <laughs> he spent this time with elite special forces in San Diego. He was briefed on Operation Neptune Spear, this operation that killed Bin Laden. Um, and he says, Jones's analysis of the number of yellow cards and HIA in the modern game means that adaptability and on-field leadership have never been more valuable. And the quote from Eddie, I was lucky enough to spend a couple of days out in San Diego about three weeks ago with the Navy SEALs to understand how we can prepare the players better to cope with the unexpected, how we can coach them better. You know the Osama thing, the Osama thing. That time, remember, he was shot. Uh, that guy they practiced that whole project for 12 months for 38 minutes of work and the first thing they did was wrong the helicopter hit the wall of the compound they had 12 months to prepare went through it religiously and they still get something wrong but then they were able to cope with it and get it done within 38 minutes and he said you look at the analogy between us now 12 months to the World Cup we're playing for a game that's got 35 minutes of ball in play so 38 minutes for the uh, operation to kill Bin Laden 35 minutes of ball in play in World Cup games so uh Eddie Jones making the stretch between an operation uh, by the Navy SEALs, SEAL Team 6, 11 years ago, and England's uh, preparations for the World Cup, which I thought was fascinating. If they win the World Cup, right? If they win the World Cup, his book <laughs> will have like four chapters on that. Oh, it And it will be a bestseller. Yeah. Um, we'll all have to listen to for like 10 years of how the Navy SEALs won the World Cup for England. So, you know. That's why it's fantastic. It's a dark and terrifying future that... Um, but, like I've heard of people like taking inspiration from from funny things and managers reading into you know different sports people and Stuart Lancaster actually is one of those people who, who, who takes inspiration from other leaders um, and that's fine that's different d- t- totally different yeah yeah totally right. different anyway all this week we have a fantastic opportunity to combine sports and leisure with <clears throat> we know you like your sports and leisure combinations it's a, a trip to LA on America's west coast you and two mates could be jetting off with multi award winning Cassidy travel on direct flights from Dublin with Aer Lingus. On the 1st of December, it's four nights in the four-star hotel, the Wayfarer, in downtown Los Angeles to take in the LA Rams against the Seahawks in the NFL. 
<clears throat> to be in the hat for this great prize, follow at Cassidy Travel on Twitter and retweet our competition post. It's all thanks to Cassidy Travel, your one-stop sports travel shop. Sports and travel, a perfect match. You can visit CassidyTravel.ie for more. For more on England's fairly remarkable draw with Germany at last night, I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by football writer Jonathan Wilson. Jonathan, good morning to you. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Um, I'm very interested in, in your takeaways from the game last night. Um, we've been having a debate here over the last few months about how well prepared this England team are. And you would say 85% of the team is really good and excellent. Their midfield and forwards, you know, whatever the combination is going to be, should be devastating and interesting. But their defence is a little bit creaky. And it appeared as if last night the defence was a little bit creaky again. And John Stones got injured. So um, how good a defence do England have at the moment? It's a huge problem. I mean, I think this was two obvious problems last night. One was the goalkeeper, Nick Pope. Uh, I think we probably knew Jordan Pickford was first choice, but we definitely know that now, assuming he he has recovered from his injury in time. Uh, And I think it wasn't just the the mistake for the the third Germany goal. He he looked uncomfortable when the ball was played back to him, which that's a huge strength of Pickford's game. So uh, I think now Pickford is cemented absolutely categorically as number one, assuming he's fit. And then the other issue is the, is the Harry Maguire problem. Um, and England really don't have many options on the left side of that back three. Uh, I sort of understand Southgate's desire to be loyal. I think Maguire, apart from the one game against Denmark when he, when he was sent off, uh, shortly after all the stuff that went on in Greece and his arrest and everything, um, I think he's been pretty consistently good for England. Uh, I think he scored, is it eight goals he scored um, for England? So, you know, he's a, he's a big threat from from set plays, which are a large part of, 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 of Southgate's game plan. But the first two goals were were mistakes by him last night. The, the first one particularly, the second one as well, stemmed from him losing possession. And looking, it, it wasn't just that he lost possession, it was that he sort of did this really awkward half-turn back and the problem is you can't see where he's going to play himself into form in, in the next six weeks because he's probably not going to play for Manchester United. So that's a huge issue because there's there's absolutely no experience to play in that left-sided role in, in the back three. I guess the two options are Tamori, who wasn't even included in the Manchester squad for last night, and Mark Gay, who, but neither of them have been used in these two games. So it looks like Maguire or bust, but... Yeah, that, that that is a big concern. There's also no prospect of him changing style and maybe only having two centre backs. Is there? Oh, well, I, I think I think that's pretty set, and I, I think it's exactly the same as what he did at the Euros, which is if if England expect to dominate possession, so that opening game, uh, you know, the second day of the World Cup when they play Iran, yeah, having seen how Iran have played in qualifying, having seen how Carlos Queiroz teams normally play, I'd be amazed if England didn't have 65% possession minimum in that game. I'm pretty sure they'll play a 4-3-3 in that game. But as at the Euros, when they come up against teams where it's more of a battle in midfield, uh, so the Euros, the games against Germany and Italy, and then these Nations League games, the, the two games we just had against Italy and Germany, it'll be a back three. I think that makes complete sense. Um, that that if, you're, if you're not confident in dominating the ball, we'll put in another centre-back and make sure you've got another holding player protecting them. Is there no world in which actually they could try and be the aggressor in that situation and have an extra body in, in midfield and put the midfielder in instead of the defender in? I just don't think they've they've done that. I don't think it I don't think South gets comfortable about that. I mean he said before the Italy game last week that in the summer in those games in June, which which were disastrous really, you know, the, the two defeats to, to Hungary, 
uh, when they did play with a back four, he said that he, he compromised on his principles and he wouldn't do that again. And I think every time Southgate has tried to open up, so it actually happened in uh, the qualifiers against Hungary as well, um, which is probably the worst performance until these last six games. Um, worst performance under Southgate was when he tried to play a 4-3-3 with, with two um, mobile players uh, on either side of a three in midfield. Uh, and I, I think he just feels that, and I actually I agree with him, that international level, um, and level maybe is the wrong word there, in the international sphere, uh, when you don't have time with the players as you'd have a club level to, to drill incredibly sophisticated pressing uh, structures and, and to drill incredibly complex attacking moves, you know, when it comes back to a much more basic game, I, I think if you open up, then, then, then you, you, you leave yourself open to the possibility of making a mistake or to, to one bit of brilliance from, from your position opening you up. And every time Southgate has tried to do that and he's sort of given in to this clamour of, oh, we've got this great generation of young attacking players, give them a head. Every time he's done that, it's gone really badly wrong. And I think he feels that it was his, um, you know, him bending to, to that sort of clamour in, in the press and the fan base that, that led to the disaster of the summer. Uh, and I'd be amazed if he did that in, in Qatar, particularly now with no preparation time at all. Like when you say, Jonathan, that that you know Southgate mightn't like to change, you know, his style and his formation, the way he plays football with England, like the the five at the back, and a lot a lot of people have kind of said it in recent weeks, is that it doesn't seem to work against the better teams, maybe as well as he'd like it to. Uh, like, is he is he someone who's against change and changing formation? Is he is he not open to the possibility of you know admitting, okay, that was wrong, maybe we can do something else? Well, I think he has changed. I mean, if you if you look through the the um, the six years he's been in charge, he's played with the back three at times, played with the back four at times, and he's now come up with this this idea over the last sort of eighteen months or so that a back three against better teams, a, a back four when when England expect to dominate the ball, and I, I I think broadly speaking that that has has worked. I mean, there's individual things you can criticise Southgate for. I think particularly. Uh, the, the Croatia semi-final, it was obvious England getting stretched in midfield and he, he was very slow to react to that. I think you can say in, in the final of the Euros against Italy, he was he was slow to respond when the game began to tip against England. But the, the broader strategic things, I think he's generally got right. And I, 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 I know there's this sort of idea that, oh, this is a, this is a great group of players that, you know, we can't waste them. They're not that great a group of players. They're a good group of players. But, yeah, that front three, for instance... Is it is it any better than than Brazil's or, or Argentina's or, or Germany's or France's? I, no, it's 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 probably not quite as good as as them. Um, so to get to a semi final and get to a final, we we sort of I don't know we seem to have stopped giving him credit for that, even though he's he's achieved in, in you know in six years what England has achieved in in the previous sixty six. You know, England only ever won fourteen knockout games at major tournaments, and Southgate's won five of them. So I I, I think. Yeah, he's not perfect. The things you can question, but broadly speaking, his, his long-term strategic planning has, has worked. What do you do about Maguire? Like, do you try and find some other left-sided? Like, is there is there a world in which one of the left backs actually takes that role? How how do you fix that? Because it, it does seem as if at this particular moment and for this season, maybe Harry Maguire is not going to be the player that he once was. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that he didn't give either Tamori or Gay a, a go there last night. I mean, we're already relegated from Nations League. Yeah, if it, if it, you know, the result didn't matter. What mattered was, was, wasn't was even the performance. It was 
working out the, the answers to a couple of specific questions leading to the World Cup. And yeah, the nine of the starters were, were the same who played against Italy. So I think we can say safely this is his basic setup for games against better teams at the World Cup. So the fact that he wasn't even considering alternatives puzzles me slightly. Um, I guess he's hoping that, that, that Maguire plays a bit more. Um, he'll have some uh, Europa League games, I guess. Um, and, and that he will play himself into a bit of form. Because the other problem is it's not even like a normal World Cup where, you know, you'd have... Uh, th- I think the last World Cup, there were 16 days between the Champions League final and the start of the World Cup. Previous tournaments has been 19, 20, 23 days. And, and also, you know, you've had uh, all but two teams have finished their season long before the Champions League final. It, it's seven days this time. So there's no time then to, to 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 try and put it right, but with you know with training games. So I think that is the the real the real obvious concern. He appears to be to be going to be loyal, but I mean I guess that might change over the next month, depending how much he plays and depending how he plays if he does play. I don't want to I don't want to double down on on Harry Maguire, Jonathan. But I mean, you say there like he, you know he might get some game time in the Europa League. I I almost feel it's at the stage now where. Where he shouldn't be getting game time in the Europa League, even for United, and like I think Ten Hag potentially would be crazy to put him into a team and the way he's playing. And, and look, maybe he's just going through a phase at the moment where he's in a really bad place with his football. He can't get anything right. Like, how, how does this end for for Harry Maguire in terms of the World Cup squad? Like, there, there's no way he's going to be left out. You'd imagine uh, a lot of people point to his experience within the squad and how good he is in the dressing room, but surely that can only get, only get you so far. Yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll clearly be in the squad. It's whether he's in the eleven. And of course, the other problem with Manchester United is that, that they they play a back four, um, and that's not going to change. And I think where Maguire's been at his, be- at his best has been on the left of a back three, where he's got a dominant centre back playing inside him, directing him. So I, I was sort of hoping these last two games with Eric Dyer, and, and you know, Eric Dyer uh, talks constantly that that, that would, would be enough to sort of at least get him to a base level of, of competence. But yeah, it really hasn't. And, and uh, I mean, I, he, he goes either Gay or Tamori goes. Uh, I mean, the other problem is the player who has played in that role um, is Tyrone Minx, but he's desperately out of form at the minute. Maybe some suggestions he's slightly coming back the last two or three games for Villa. Um, but he, you know, he's not a player who you can say is absolutely hammering down the door, saying, "Yeah, pick me again, I'm back." So, so yeah, that I think I think. That issue is, is the biggest issue. I think there's also two issues with the forward line, which I know this England scored three times last night, but it was after substitutions were made. And Raheem Sterling last night had another one of those games where movement looks great. Every time he can do something without thinking about it, it looks great. As soon as there's time to think, everything gets slowed down. I think that was the big difference between the final 20 minutes last night and, well, the first 70, and, and even more so the Italy game. Uh, and it, it, it's not... It's not an entirely fair comparison because Germany push higher, so there's more space for them to, to attack into. And I think that's going to be the maybe the issue that stops Germany going as far as they, they could do at the World Cup, that obsession of playing the high line. But they, they look much better when when Saka had come on uh, and his direct running. And I th- you know, England have to play a runner alongside Harry Kane because they need somebody who goes beyond him. And you'd sort of looked at the squad before that and thought, well, Sterling's the only one who can do that, maybe Marcus Rashford, but his form and... and your injury situation obviously isn't great. Um, so the front three, if it is Kane, a runner and a schemer, well, it's Foden on Mount and, and fine. Foden was okay. They looked better when Mount came on, but you know that, that's a 50-50 call. Although Mount hasn't played particularly well so far this season. And then the runner, and it's always been Sterling. Sterling is probably England's best player, certainly best attacking player at the Euros. 
but they looked a lot better with Saka last night, and 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 that may be uh, something to to look at before that first game against Iran. At least there's a, a significant difference in in terms of um, you're you're going to be able to bring those players on, and you've loads of subs now, so you can start with Foden and bring Mount on. You can start with Mount and bring Foden on, and you would expect whoever isn't starting to be able to watch what's gone on for the first 70 minutes and influence the game like they did last night. With the defensive issue, just to, to lay with the point, like on the right side, they're happy to play a full-back converted into the third of those three defenders. Is there no world in which one of the left-backs could actually play as the left-sided centre-back? Well, I mean, yes, they could. Uh, I don't think they'd want to do that with Carl Walker playing on the right as well. I think to play two full-backs in those positions leaves you a bit short of height. So, yeah, if, if Stones is fit and playing well... That is an option, but left back's actually a bit of a problem. Uh, I mean, Luke Shaw, I didn't think he'd make the squad, to be honest. And he played last night and he played really, really well. So uh, his lack of game time at Manchester United doesn't seem to be an issue. And he, he probably now, given Chilwell's not playing often, will be the first choice left back. I mean, Reese James certainly can play on the right of, of, of the back three because... Um, he does have that that that, that height and that, that he is a bit more physically imposing than Walker. Uh, he yeah you know, he can play on the left. Could he play on the left of the three? Maybe, but I'd like to have seen that 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 tried out first before you go to and, the World Cup and do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I imagine doing that if you had Walker and James as the two flanking um, uh, centre backs. It's pretty fast. It's really, really quick. So you can maybe risk playing a bit higher. And then you get Kieran Trippier on the side, and Kieran Trippier was the best take of a dead ball. And the dead balls, I mean, particularly in Italy, were terrible. And and set plays are a big part of, of Southgate's attacking plans. So, yeah, maybe that is an option. And, and Southgate seems quite quite open to the idea of playing right footers on the left. I mean, he's done it with Trippier playing at left wing back. Um, so, yeah, that, that that is a possibility, but... It's it's significantly less ideal than Maguire in form and playing well. Yeah, and it's it's very late in the day to be trying that stuff. I, I want to bring in one comment from one of our, our uh, regular listeners. Should England not be dominating possession against most teams with the players they have? Foden, Bellingham, Kane, Grealish, Rice, Sterling, etc. They're hardly plucky underdogs. Why do they accept that they won't have the majority of the ball, even against the very good teams who are used to keeping the ball? I don't. I don't think it's necessarily accepting that they they won't have a majority of the ball. I think it's saying that in certain games it's more of a challenge. So, yeah, Germany, Italy, yeah, they are very, very good sides. So to go into games against Germany and say, oh, well, we're going to dominate possession here, I mean, that, that even by England standards, that would be monstrously arrogant. So I, I think it's just looking at the nature of the opposition. And I think in international football, that's a pretty sensible thing to do because... Um, so, yeah. just to, to, can I, is there a point where they think they might break even without being arrogant about it is there an aspiration to break even or is there like actually what we'll do is our style of play is going to be to go back to our debate about counter-attacking essentially counter-attacking you're going to have the ball we're going to try and hit no, you no, on that's, the that's, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying I'm saying where they think it's going to be contested so I'd say anything where possession is going to be between 45 and 55% or 40 and 55% they play the back three um, I, do, I just think there's a huge difference and it, it's um, it's something that Southgate's really sort of teased out and I think he's right to do it that sort of, I don't know, three quarters, 80% of international games for, for England, you're playing inside to pack eight, nine men behind the ball. You're playing in their half the whole time and you've got to pick your way through them. And that's a totally different style of football to you know, a more even contest against the Germany or in Italy. So... Yeah, it's 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 not necessarily saying right. We'll 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 sit back. We'll ha- we'll be happy with twenty five, thirty percent of the ball, and we'll hit them on the break. It's saying, 
Yeah, and, and yeah, I think they want to play like that. I don't don't have a problem with that. They've got a lot of pace in forward areas. Kane is really good at dropping deep, playing on the turn, hitting those passes to you know at, at uh, club level to 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 Son particularly breaking beyond him. If England could work out a way of doing that at, at international level, brilliant. I, I don't think there's any sort of humiliation in doing that. But I, I, that's not necessarily what I'm saying. I'm saying that games where they think that this is going to be a battle, we, we've we, we've got we've got a scrap for possession in midfield. I think that's when they they bring in the extra centre back, and and that seems to me a you know a policy that's that's you know it's gotten to a World Cup semi final and the final of the Euros, gotten to within a penalty of winning the Euros. Yeah, so. fair enough. Like Jonathan, with the squad being named now in a few weeks, obviously this conversation's going going to heat up. But like reading a few of the opinion pieces in the papers this morning, and Trent Alexander Arnold was a name that that came up quite often. Um, a few mentioned the fact that Southgate was one of those UEFA technical observers that last May picked Trent on the the Champions League team of the season. Uh, and and like Gareth has always been someone who's been praised for honing people skills and, and looking after players in that sense. But are you surprised that, that you know Trent not making this this squad for, for last night's game is is his, are his chances of making the World Cup squad now completely over? Do you think? Well, I don't think they're over, but they're, they're they're pretty slim, and I think I think understandably so. That the and we've seen it this season, and we saw it in the COVID season with Liverpool. That Trent Alexander Arnold is a brilliant right back in a team that's pressing very, very well. And that allows them to push forward because when when opposition midfielders or defenders win the ball, they have players in their face straight away and they can't measure that, that pass in behind him. If you think back to the game where Liverpool lost away to Madrid in the COVID season and the first two goals that Madrid scored in that game, both of them were Tony Kroos picking up the ball, I don't know, 20 yards uh, from the halfway line in his own half and just popping passes in behind Alexander-Arnold Alexander Arnold got hammered for that, but that's that's always been his position. He needs other players to 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 press quickly when an opposition midfielder gets the ball and stop him playing those passes. And okay, there's a risk that maybe one in fifty times, one in a hundred times, he can measure that pass. But you you, you accept that because of, of the advantages you have with Alexander Arnold getting forward and putting crosses in. At international level, there's no way England are going to be able to press as well as Liverpool at their best do. And we've seen even this season how. Alexander Arnold's been exposed defensively because he's not the world's greatest defender, but he never has been. That's not a new thing. It's just that the, the press hasn't been working well enough to protect that. England's press cannot work that well because they just don't have the time to do it. And you know, in another world where England don't have a, a fleet of very, very good right backs, then of course he plays and you try and work out a compromise. But when you've got Carl Walker, Kieran Trippier and Reese James, there's just no need to do that. So... Is he a brilliant footballer? Yes. Is he, you know, in terms of technical ability, one of the best 10 footballers in England? Probably, yeah. Is he a useful right-back for England going at this World Cup? No, I don't think particularly is. And I, I felt Southgate probably made a mistake by taking him to the Euros, that it, it just blocked up a spot in the squad with a player he probably wasn't going to use. Now, you could argue, and I could see some sense in the argument, that if England are a goal behind 20 minutes to go and they desperately need a goal and you want to put on an attacking right-back who's going to deliver brilliant balls in the box... He's a useful asset to have off a bench. That that absolutely is an argument. Whether you can find a place in the squad for that, well, that's, that's a slightly different question. But I'd be amazed if he started a game at the world, started a live game at the World Cup. I mean, potentially, if England win the first two group games, you could see him starting the third group game. But I, I'd, I'd be astonished to see him starting a a live game at the World Cup. Uh, briefly, Jonathan, like we were talking earlier about Stephen Kenny's Republic of Ireland um, job and how maybe he sometimes makes substitutions a bit late. Watching England last night, it, it struck me, and you mentioned the fact that you know they were already relegated from their League of Nations group. 
probably a ch- an opportunity to use some some players in the last game that we know of before the World Cup starts for them in eight weeks' time. Like, it struck me watching the subs bench last night and seeing Ivan Tony there. Like, Southgate already knows Harry Kane can and will score goals for England. Were you surprised that maybe someone like Tony? Like, I'm almost thinking, why was he brought into the squad at all if he's not going to bring him on in, in a game against Germany that that means nothing essentially at the end of the game? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess his answer would be that he's seen him in training and he, you know, he's looked at what he can do. Um, I, I, I would guess there probably was a plan to bring him on last night. Then the, the way the game went, that yeah, having been two down and suddenly yeah, get back in with a chance of winning it. And you sort of think the morale boost had they clung on to to a three two win, although they did exactly the same before Euro two thousand sixteen, and that went disastrously badly wrong. So coming from Tino down to beat Germany three two just before a major tournament isn't necessarily a harbinger of good things. Uh, yeah, I suspect the game just sort of got away from him that that um, he wanted to keep Kane on because he wanted to win the game. Um, right. That had it been yeah two nil or nil nil, then then yeah maybe he would have seen Tony. All right, Jonathan, great stuff as ever. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Cheers, thank you. That's uh, Jonathan Wilson there. If you want to get involved, we'd love to hear from you. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. And now, a reminder, Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Each week, we're giving one lucky viewer a €100 Euro voucher to spend on some Brayburn Coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you. To enter, check out Add Off The Ball on Twitter, like and retweet the Brayburn competition post, and you'll be in the draw. Brayburn Coffee never compromises on quality or taste to give you the best on-the-go coffee experience on the road. It's available at Apple Green today. We're back after the break. Gavin Cooney uh, talking Ireland and Armenia next. OTB AM. Gavin Cooney of the 42 is with us this morning. Gavin, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. Uh, so, what do you expect tonight? Um, I, what do I expect tonight? I expect, I think Ireland will win, in fairness. I know we can't ever be too confident about these <laughs> games against low blocks and low um, lower-ranked oppositions, but... Surely. I'm going to say surely we can't lose to Armenia, but then I do have to add the word <laughs> again. again. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's the home games. We're always good at home. Um, well, at least when there's a crowd, we're always good at home, right? It's, uh, are we? That's not true either. There's nothing true about this that we can uh, kind of reliably pin our, our expectations on, is that um, frequently we've had really good away-from-home performances and then they've been followed up with an after-the-Lord-Mayor-show-style letdown. And that's desperately what we're trying to avoid this week so that there's again something that we can point to okay they've done this and then they've followed it up with something better or they've discovered a style of play that they think they're going to be able to consistently implement and then they've backed that up by doing the same thing again and again and again and again mm-hmm. and if they were to play the way they did in the first half against Scotland I think they're going to win the game yeah, convincingly tonight but the problem is they probably won't be able to play like they played in the first game, first half against Scotland because it's a different type of game that inconsistency that you talk about is a kind of consistency in the sense that Kenny has turned this Ireland team into a very good counter-attacking side uh, in, which games, in games in which they have the minority of possession but in, at home, when they're the protagonist, or away against like low-ranked sides like Armenia, when they're the protagonist and they're given the ball, they really struggle to break things down. Like uh, there's been so of the twenty competitive games that Kenny has had, nine of them uh, in, have been games in which Ireland have had more than fifty percent possession, and they've only won one of those. Um, so they have always struggled in that sense. And like this isn't this isn't a new story with Stephen Kenny's Ireland. Uh, it's been going on for uh, for generations. I think it's been going on for all my life. Um, but like the whole Kenny thing was 
this would change. You know, we would evolve into a style of play that help us break these teams down. So that's what they have to prove tonight. You know, I, I thought Scotland performance was really good. Was well, it was quite good. First half was really good. They, I think, they faded in the second half when Scotland tur- um, up the tempo a little bit. Um, but they just have to. Pr- they have to bring that tempo into this game and prove that they can break down one of these lower rank sides because. Uh, Otherwise, it's uh, yeah, it'll be a dicey, it'll be a dicey couple of days afterwards. Like, is it a worrying trend, Gav, that, that you're looking at games like Serbia, Portugal, Scotland, where Ireland take the lead in a game and just can't close it out? No, obviously those three particular opposition are maybe a level above Armenia, but like even Dan McDonald was writing about the fact that this that was sort of a trend with Stephen when he was even at Dundalk, mm. maybe taking the lead in games and not closing them out. Is that? Is it a bit early to be getting concerned about something like that? No, absolutely be concerned about it um, because it's undermining Ireland and it means they're not getting the results. Like three wins in 20 competitive games is fairly abysmal. Now, there has been really weird consistency within that as well. All the competitive wins have been by three goals. All the competitive defeats have been by one goal. And then you can call the Slovakia defeat on penalties a draw or defeat, whichever way you want. So it is a concern. It was a really interesting discussion that you referenced last night between uh, Dan and, and Joe Malloy on the evening show, and it was really interesting. And I was thinking about it, uh, and when it comes to in-game management, and like Ireland under Kenny, I think the best word that is, that sums them up is methodical. Like there is this perception among some people that they're playing, you know, football like 1970 Brazil. They don't. It's not just kick and rush, but they do mix it up, and they are quite pragmatic. But everything is really methodical. They defend in a methodical way. They attack in a methodical way. Everyone knows the roles, and they look really well coached and you can see the amount of just the sheer amount of work that Kenny and Keith Andrews and the rest of his coaches put into preparing teams so generally I have to say they usually get their team selections from the off and their formations they generally get them right but there is a question as to how they respond in games when games change and it needs something different I mean the subs uh, at Hampton Park didn't work really I could understand why he brought on Ogbené but I don't think replacing Abba Femi was the right call. I think Paris, on reflection, was the player to replace there. He obviously made, what was it, a triple sub after 75 minutes. I don't think any of them really made much of an impact. Obviously, Alan Brown gave away the penalty. Coleman, I thought, struggled to get to the pitch of the game. Robinson did nothing. And then Robbie Brady came on late and, and didn't have too much time to affect the game. So that's the question. And sometimes I think that they put so much thought into the plan, the pre-game plan, and it's generally right, in fairness. Like, I mean, I don't want to. We've criticised previous Ireland managers for not having a plan. So I, I don't want to come on and criticise this Ireland management team for having a plan. But they often, when it, they're often too slow to change it when it's not working. I mean, I was just looking back at my notes before I came in here. I think only twice in competitive games have Ireland changed formation during a game. They did it in the. They brought Alan Brown on to go to a four. 1-4-1 I think uh, in the playoff against Slovakia and they uh, took Adam Eda off and put Jason Knight on in the game away to Luxembourg went to a 3-4-2-1 from a 3-5-2 and that made a big difference actually that was 0-0 when Eda came off Knight made a big difference and then it goes th- to 3-0 but too often we haven't seen those changes like the, the home game again Lux- against Luxembourg was an example that just wasn't working at all but the system didn't change I mean Kieran Clark had a nightmare he eventually got taken off but I think Enda Stevens was put on at left centre back, and the system didn't change. So I'm just wondering. It's a long-winded answer, Shane. I'm sorry, but it's, I'm wondering if that that kind of inflexibility in game partly contributes to these to these narrow defeats. Mm. 
they, they expended so much energy as well on, on, on Saturday like and you're, you're hearing Stephen Kenny after the match kind of saying he's not going to make wholesale changes but like, do you not have to go to the old rivals like your Coleman or Duffy no why but why not why would you go to Duffy well <clears throat> what did the three centre backs do that was wrong no, that they played well, but I mean, no. they have to be tired after a game no. like that weekend. No, there has to be tired legs. Well, Matt Doherty looked leggy in the second half. I don't think any of the three centre backs would be. No, he, he won't change it. But I mean, the fact that he's only saying is that you start with one Matt or two Doherty changes. Again. Like you got to get the football into Doherty. Like I think Doherty, I think Doherty's too uh, is too Good. important a player to drop. <laughs> I'd be amazed. Yeah, I'd yeah. be amazed. If, I would be really surprised. And the alternative is Coleman, who hasn't been playing at club level either. That's the thing. So yeah. he'll he'll be arguably he'll be more rusty than Doherty if you bring him in. What's the story? So I think one of the uh, probable teams has uh, McLean out and Robbie Brady in mm. at left wing back. Is that a possibility? Uh, I think it probably is. Um, I kind of picked my team this morning. I, I went with Brady. It's exceptionally hard to drop James McLean. I have to say he's been playing well. I thought he was very good in Scotland. Um, the quality of his crossing has massively improved under Kenny in the last little while. I think, again, because it, there's something slightly more methodical in it. He doesn't always just charge to the touchline and swing in across now with his head down. He, you know, he, he picks his head up and he often cuts back in on his right foot to aim for the back post. So it would be harsh to, break, uh, to drop him, but Kenny loves uh, Robbie Brady. And uh, he might offer that extra little bit of craft in this game. I, the other changes, like Josh Cullen is suspended, unfortunately, which is a big, a big miss for Ireland. I mean, we haven't had to play without Josh Cullen very often, uh, so he'll come in. Maybe Jeff Hendrick, probably is the most likely. He may want to introduce another forward player for uh, a sitting midfielder, and you know, maybe Callum O'Dowda, who's another Kenny favourite who we haven't seen uh, play for Ireland in almost two years. But again, he's quite a creative force, and he can actually beat a guy and open up something um, against a low block side that Ireland really didn't have in the game in Yerevan in June other than that I mean do you change the strikers like Troy Paris I mean I don't I think you stick with them stick with them yeah, yeah well he needs confidence he needs game time are you drop him or you're not shattering confidence left totally confidence yeah but but how long how long do you give him I guess is the question because he, even the, the first touch it wasn't just the missed chance when Obafemi gave the ball across it was the touches before the chance he just didn't look like a man confident now maybe the argument there is yeah so, you, you like, play okay, him he was offside but he looked so confident scoring the, yeah. the offside yeah. goal yeah it's yeah. true maybe he knew he was offside though um, <laughs> I don't know he, he definitely he definitely did a good job of looking really shocked mm. when he looked back at the linesman when the flag went up um, but that lifetime was, a lifetime of honing that look oh what <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so but who, like I mean so I, I think Albafemi and Parrish should play again together because they have the, they seem to have the makings of a good partnership. So I would continue. I would keep that for as long as as you can, just to work on it. Ogbeni is the is probably the next man up. But is this a game for Ogbeni? Like there's be no there'll be no space in behind. I think it was Ogbeni and Robinson played in Yerevan. And is there a world in which I mean they've never they said they don't see him as a right wing back because he's never played there for us. But that he could play right wing back and you could try. Doherty on the left I mean, like Doherty on the left is not the worst thing to experiment with a little bit before the Euros because turns out we've loads of right backs and we'll always have right backs for whatever reason right backs rowers and uh, number sevens in rugby <laughs> that's our national prototype and if if we could turn him into a left wing back who was influencing the game in a you know in a like one of those Manchester City left backs mm. that wouldn't be the worst thing for us would it no and Doherty played left wing back in Portugal and was, was great pretty good you know, but he couldn't do it against Gibraltar remember <laughs> that first half <laughs> um, yeah whatever let's not let's not relitigate that because uh, 
I just really don't want to go there. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's quite possible. I haven't really thought about it. I mean, Kenny has always been quite firm that they don't see Ogbeni as a right wing-back. But, uh, yeah, it's something to consider. Obviously, Ogbeni isn't playing there at club level anymore. He's gone back to being a forward at Rotherham. Um, can't see it happening. Um, but it's a good idea, Jer. There you go. That's what people come to OTBAM for every day. <laughs> <laughs> the good idea is... Uh, we're away for nothing. We're going to get hit, for, and I'm going to get hit for pushing this, but uh, Jeff Hendrick, um, and I know the lads spoke about him last night as well, Gav, but uh, is he someone maybe that could be turned to a bit more often? I know with Cullen being suspended, maybe the opportunity is there tonight for a bit more game time for him, but there is a section, as Dan McDonald said last night, of, of Irish fans that, that just don't want to see Jeff anywhere near the team. Yeah, yeah I would imagine that he would probably... He's probably the favourite to come into the team ahead of Josh Cullen. Mm. Like Hendrick was a real firm Kenny favourite up until the midway point of the June window, and then he got dropped. You know, they they added another midfielder, and actually they took him out. So they added two new midfielders and took him out. So I would imagine that I would say there's a good chance that he comes in. And in fairness to Hendrick, like his passing range in relatively tight spaces is probably the best in Ireland's midfield. Like Ireland's midfield is it's the weakest department of the team. But you'd imagine like who can play those slip those little through balls through against a, against a side that will sit deep as Armenia. I think Hendrick is as good a, as good an option as anyone. I wouldn't play him. I wouldn't sit him deep like in the Josh Cullen role. I would probably drop Knight or Malumbi there and push Hendrick on to play as one of the t- more attacking number eights, which is where he's been playing for Reading in a back three with wing backs around him as well, which is probably a good thing for Ireland. So I, w- I would I would guess I'm only guessing that probably we'll see Hendrick. Hendrick start tonight. He could do with a big game for us. He could. I mean, he like, like you referenced it. Like he's not, he's not got a good standing among Irish fans. No. And I think, I think it's OTT. Some of the criticism he gets is OTT. But at the same time, too often, too often he kind of coasts through games, and it hasn't happened as often under Kenny. There are times when he just didn't go looking for the ball when he should have. You know, he hid in midfield. I think Kenny got has kind of knocked that out of out of him a bit, and Hendrick was really good. I remember him being really good in the in the four 0 win at home to Qatar. He's linked well with Doherty on the right as well. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, I, he's obviously he obviously needs a good performance to get in the team. Like I mean, this is the other thing that there's now competition for places yeah. in midfield. Whereas once he was an automatic pick and didn't have to worry too much about who was breathing down his neck. Now he's not in the team, and if he doesn't perform. He won't be picked. One of the young guys will be picked ahead of him. So he uh, he needs to perform to justify his place in the team. And if he gets it, um, well, he'll at least be motivated to do so. It's reported in one of the papers that if um, if uh, if they lose tonight, he's gone. That's like uh, just a bare fact in the middle of a piece. Now, I I think that's bananas. To be honest, I, I can't see the FAI taking on the whole difficulty of a recruitment process while they still don't have a sponsor for the men's team now. You could argue that it would be a great distraction from the fact that uh, the board has so far failed to attract a sponsor because, you know, it's a, it's a collective cabinet responsibility when it comes to stuff as big as that. Um, is that is that a like, I mean, you know, if we if we lose 1-0, if we lose 4-0, things are different. But surely, surely this isn't actually a, you must win this game or your job is gone. I would be surprised if he. Did. I would be very surprised if he didn't get the Euros campaign, regardless, just because um, for all the reasons that you just mentioned. But there will be pressure. I mean, there like twelve people around the the board and around the table in the boardroom and the FAI. They're not all a unanimous voice. 
which is a good thing, you know? I mean, the unanimous voice was the previous regime, so it was only really one person's opinion that really mattered. So it's good that there are kind of dissenting voices around that boardroom table. And there would be differing views on Stephen Kenny, as you would imagine. Like, there would be differing views on everyone. Um, obviously, the FBI backed him with the contract. I, w- I would be very surprised if they didn't get it. But if they were to lose to Armenia... There, all that noise comes back and there is a lot of pressure again I'd be really surprised for all the reasons that you mentioned but you couldn't I don't think you could 100% rule it out I mean it would have to be they would have to give it some consideration because it would be you know before the draw was made Stephen Kenny talked about topping the group and if we get relegated from it like down to League C it probably extinguishes hopes of getting a playoff to the Euros I mean like, like try if you're the FAI try selling tickets to a UEFA Nations League C game whenever that comes around yeah. <laughs> like there, there will absolutely be pressure on it and there will be noise and they lose to Armenia at home and like this is it was bad enough it was like it was careless to lose to Armenia away but now Ireland, like at least there was some mitigation in that in the sense that there were five weeks after, some players played f- five weeks after their club season ended and they clunked with ring rust on the pitch. They don't have that excuse tonight. And Armenia are in rag order coming here. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, they're... Uh, it was a controversy at the press conference. They, so the local Armenian journalists boycotted it. They didn't, they didn't ask a question and said, we're not asking a question, we just simply want you, head coach, to resign. <laughs> Which is, uh, I mean, Stephen Kenny may be, uh, <coughs> may be hurt by the criticism from Damien Delaney and others in recent in recent days but he can comfort himself that we're we are at least still turning up to his press conferences yeah uh, if that is if that is a cold comfort to him i'm not really sure that give it us is. your prediction uh ireland three armenia nil all right we would take that at this stage yeah, gavin good stuff gavin Curry for the 42 thanks very much for that it is 8 31 this morning if you want to get in touch with us 0879 is the whatsapp number hurling icon davy fitzgerald is speaking with us today for the launch of londa's sponsorship of ireland's fittest family londa's will sponsor rt's hit tv show for a fourth year in a row which returns to our screens on sunday the 2nd of October for a 10th season. The hugely popular show features presenter Mairead Ronan and a star-studded lineup of coaches including Davy Fitz, Anna Geary and Dunnick O'Callaghan. New to the coaching lineup this year is former jockey and Dancing with the Stars winner Nina Carberry filmed in Kilruddery Estate in Wicklow. 16 of Ireland's fittest, fastest and strongest families gather from across all four provinces to compete over the eight weeks for the title of Ireland's fittest family in a series of challenges designed to test their physical and mental endurance. Davy Fitz, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, how are you? All the filming is over, am I right? So you know what happens. Yeah, do you want me to tell you? No, I think, uh, I mean, I, I don't think you would. <laughs> no, I won't be telling you, no, but um, it's all done, so it is. We finished about two weeks ago there, so all done and dusted. Um, and is this part then when you're waiting for, it's a bit like, you know, you're, you invite people to your 21st or uh, a house party and you're just waiting for everybody to get it. You've done all the work, everything is excited, so there's a bit of, Bit of nervousness and anticipation ahead of what the response is going to be from the public? Yeah, like you're always wondering, it's the same at your game, what will the numbers be like, how will people react to it? Um, like thankfully, over the last nine years, it's gone from strength to strength and um, people now see it as a ritual of a Sunday night where they can sit down, relax together, shout, roar, um, enjoy it and that's what we wanted to tell you the truth like Joe, we, we wanted that bit of fun we wanted that to come into people's lives and um, it, it's done pretty okay uh, it's, it's a hit obviously with uh, multiple demographics but um, particularly with kids like they, they love the show and they love the coaches is there a part of your life where you're kind of surprised sometimes that uh, people know who you are not from your exploits as a hurler or as a manager but actually there's Debbie Fitz from Ireland's Fitness Family it's it, to tell you the truth, the, the the difference like like a number of years ago, any place I went to, maybe 
certain people know me through the hurling now that would have a backseat completely. Um, Fittest family would definitely resonate with the younger people for definite. And uh, there's your man from Fittest family. And um, you know what I enjoy it. It's good. Is there is there an element, Davy? Like uh, I suppose Sunday nights where it was the fear and the homework not done and the Glen Row music for a lot of people yeah. for for many years. Was there an element of this that you wanted to be a bit of crack on a Sunday night? That that uh, that element of Sunday night dread, I suppose, is taken away by by a show like this. Do you know what we wanted? Um, I can remember myself and James Sexton who came up with the idea to start. What we really wanted was for different generations to be able to sit down and watch the same program together. That, like, there's very few programs you'll sit down and you'll watch with your mom and your dad or even, like, your grandparents. You can sit down and watch this with any generation. And that's the biggest thrill that we have got out of this is you can sit down, everyone can look at it and... You could like you'll end up rooting for someone or another on the show, and it's great. Did you watch a lot of TV? Were you a big TV watcher before this came along into your life? I I love watching TV. I I be honest with you. I I like probably me after a game. I'll go home and I'll go up and I'll watch a movie or I'll do something. I I, I like watching TV. What were you I watching? Like as a, and as a kid, what were you watching? What were kind of your Listen, I'd be into every sport under the sun. Like, um, like I'd watch golf non-stop on TV. I'd watch, um, so I'd watch American football. I would watch a lot of movies as well. Like, I'd watch a lot of older movies, I suppose. Um, I, I love stuff like that, you know. And I presume Superstars at some point when you were a kid was like, cause yeah, <laughs> that, you know what? That's for definite. Um, I love that. So I did. Um, you, you get to watch, I think Pat Spillane would have been on it. Um, different GA players that I would have grown up watching were on it. And it, it was actually brilliant. I loved that. So was, was all of that kind of in the melting pot in your head when you were sitting down originally to come out and devise, like, how are we going to make this work? You know, because the concept is obviously great. But then actually, when you think about how to put together like individual segments of the show and what's going to work and what's not going to work like a bit of gladiators uh, I guess as well um, and all of that's kind of in the melting pot when you're thinking we can do an Irish version of this uh, we can we can make it multi-generation yeah well it's I, like so I'm lucky number one that we um, ended up with a very with two very um, we ended up with Animal and Kite production companies and um they, in fairness, they've even tweaked it an awful lot from the original idea we came up with. So I think every year we sit down and we look at new ideas and there, there are some very good people in the production companies. They're, they're top class and they're always saying, how can we make this better? How can we make it more enjoyable for the people at home? And that's a big thing for them, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's just it's really interesting. And, and am I right in saying it's been successful? You've, you've sold it internationally? Yeah, we we we've sold it, and um, I I know it's aired in probably eight or ten countries, eight nine ten countries in that in that general vicinity, and there might be a bigger one or two not far away either. So um, like I'm just so proud that um, an Irish concept has been bought in other countries. It's 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 great. It's great for us, you know. Um, since the last time we've spoken with you, uh, you've taken up the the role at Waterford, um. How straightforward was that for you? What what kind of what was the the thought process about getting back into intercounty management? Um, well, firstly, I suppose I, I did in time, enjoy my time last year with RT and the Sunday game. It was great, but 
to tell you the truth, I, I, I love being on the field. Um, I love being in the training field. And when I met Watford, um, our ideas pretty much aligned. Um, I can remember meeting the chairman first for a, a general chat. And I just knew that the ideas we had were pretty similar. And I was excited to, to maybe get that opportunity and go again. It's funny that the, I think I'm right in saying David Pork Mahoney maybe is the only player you would have worked with in your previous stint with Waterford. Is that enticing as well? That you know, it's a, it's a whole new group of players, bar one, essentially. Yeah, like it was my first go into inter-county management, and let me say this: like I, I went into a Waterford team that I would have actually I, I did battle with a lot of them, but I actually would have admired them incredibly for the way they played and, and stuff like that and I suppose it was tough to agree that a certain amount of them were coming to the latter end of their career and like when you're trying to maybe get different ideas across that's tough or when you're trying to tell one or two of them maybe your legs aren't the same as they were like it, it was a tough gig even though I think that time we hit um, four All-Ireland semi-finals got to an All-Ireland final and got to three Munster finals winning one so, like we kept their their boats, but it wasn't an easy gig for your very first gig into inter county management. Can I ask you just about the the year away? Right, you're obviously with the the Cork Camogie team, so you weren't and and with uh, various club teams as well. So you weren't totally away from it, but there was an opportunity for you to be out of the absolute constant mm. on the phone non-stop to every panel member you know dealing with the, the social issues that they might have dealing with the fitness issues dealing with the nutrition all that kind of stuff so it was an opportunity for you to go and think right what's my philosophy what, how do I want this to be played what am I going to take what's actually successful for Limerick at the moment how do I counteract them has your view on the game changed at all from the little periods where you weren't at the cold front day to day yeah, well, let me just first say, right, um, so I did, I, I did do Cork Camogie, and I have to mention publicly, like, um, Matthew Toomey was the manager, and um, you're right, like, the incredible job he had to do with regard to the day-to-day run of that team was incredible. I actually, for once, just had to turn up for the training field and do the training, um, um, and you know what, them girls in Cork were absolutely incredible. Um, we trained as hard as if you train any men's team and their attitude was, was top class. And as a coach or as a trainer, are you going to keep 36 players happy? Probably not. No manager or coach will do that. But I so, so enjoyed my time. Did it give me a chance that last year to look at other stuff? It gave me, it gave me a bit more time to, like my work in the Sunday game meant I had to analyse different teams and look at different styles of play and maybe have a little think is there a few things I would do differently now than I did in Wexford maybe two years ago. Uh, answer to that is probably, yeah, there is a few things that I've noticed a bit differently in that and we'll be trying to implement them. You know, so the year out um, didn't do me any harm whatsoever um, from being in the cold face, but it was a big difference because like I would have played for probably 17, 18 years and then I went into another 14 of them on the back of that management, so you were you were gone out of that side of things, which was, which was massive, sure. Yeah, I, I know. Um, we were at our clock. Um, they were having a, a night to to celebrate recently, yeah. and we had a good conversation that night. I know that you were. Um, I don't know. 
is critical the right word, but uh, you thought that maybe you hadn't been given a fair crack of the whip when it came to how people spoke about your tactical flexibility. And we had Derek McGraw on recently, and he was making the point that um, there might be a perception out there, but the perception is wrong about your tactical flexibility. He thinks that you are and that you have uh, multiple game plans. So do you want to just talk to us a bit about that? Like on this show, you may as well tell us what you think of us. Yeah, well, I think I told you that night what I thought. You um, did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you, you know, certain people will think that, and you know what? Maybe if it was me four or five or six years ago, I'd try and justify that. I, I actually have no interest in trying to justify what style or what way um, we play. Um, all I know is anyone that knows the hurling, if they really look at the game and be it you play a plus one, which is some people call it a sweeper back-to-back. But if you really look at the game of hurling for 70 minutes, is there seven defenders there for 70 minutes? Not even remotely close to it. If you look at some of the more very dominant teams at the moment, they might have two wing forwards coming back into their backs a number of times. Their midfielders might be getting back. Their six will be going back to their three. And they will have a lot more than just a plus one back there. And they'll try and build the ball from there. So there's various different ways. And... Some people might think it's a straight 15. There hasn't been a straight 15 in Hurling for a long, long time, and let's be honest with you. Um, so there hasn't. So what people think, sure, I, I can't influence that. I don't really mind. My job is to try and see, can I get the team I'm with an opportunity to win uh, a big one? That's that's the, the only thing I'm interested in. And plus, the biggest thing I want, and I, and I really mean this, and I think a lot of teams will see this, I want the players I have to be given a freedom to go long, to go short, to go cross field, to score from distance, to score inside. Um, I think that's very important, and that would be my belief. Certain people wouldn't think that, but I don't really care because maybe they just don't understand it, but that would be the way I'd see it. So the point of having any structure is to give the players a template and then to give them the freedom to make the decisions within that template that you think gives the team the best chance to succeed? I honestly believe, yeah, if you can if you can set them up well structurally, but then give them the ammunition to make their own decisions. And like as I've said to you, in that if you look at it most of the time, like I can remember in Wexford at one stage, and I want you to think about this. My fullback Liam Ryan ended up, I think, giving a pass to Kevin Foley or Sean Murphy in this in that plus one position. Uh, Liam Ryan ends up below on the other twenty one, getting a score. Now, if that's holding a fella back, well, I don't know what the story is. Um, as a young fella, when Liam was probably out hurling, he could have imagined himself doing X, Y, and Z and playing with that freedom. And you know what? Like, to me, that's that's one of my values. And I, if people see that, fine. If they don't, there's nothing we can do about that. Sorry, sorry um, Jared, to across you. Like, just just reading the piece there, um, very fascinating piece, Davey, in the last week or two from from Desi Hutchinson, where he was kind of re- referencing last year with Waterford and how they maybe possibly trained too hard, were too gassed, and a lot of people have kind of come up with different theories as to to what happened to Waterford last year. There was high expectations. Like someone now involved with the team and, and would have watched them as a pundit last year. Can you put a finger on, on, on maybe where they might have gone wrong? Obviously, anything can happen game to game, but it, 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 can you can you see where it might have uh, stemmed from? Um, yeah, like you, you've mentioned a few things, and that's been the talk. I'm not 100% sure yet. Um, I'm just in the middle of trying to figure out different bits and pieces. But like 
let's number one give Liam Cattle a lot of credit too. He won the league last year at the All-Ireland semi-final the year before, was in the All-Ireland the year before that. Like So he's had them there, thereabouts um, all the time. Last year's performance, they won't be happy with. Um, they were miles off. Last two championship games, they were miles off. I've got to get in and maybe just figure out why that was. And I'm sure Liam even himself would be looking at that, why they were so far off at the end of it. So um, that's something we have to look at and um, see, try and make sure that doesn't happen again. It's obviously a different Waterford group, as you talked about the first Waterford group that you, you came in on. How do you go about making sure that the players have that leadership within them? Like, what, What's your approach to building that leadership group within the players' group? Like... At the moment, um, I'm just trying to get to know the players. Uh, number one, like I've gone, I went to a lot of club games, and I was actually the amount of teams that played a plus one was actually incredible. Like with the style they're playing, and I suppose that even from Derek McGrath's time, they would have been very, very structured. And I suppose down here at times um, he would have got a tough time, but I thought they were so, so well structured and so organised into Parik Fanon's time, into Liam's time, and. My job now is to get to know these players one-to-one, figure out what they're like individually. Then my job is to bring them together as a unit, but I have to understand them individually first, then try and marry them together as a unit. And that will come in many different forms, be it training, be it activities outside the training and all that. Um, my, jo- my job will be to bond them. But a lot of these fellas have been around each other for the last number of years, so... Um, I, I just want to see can I improve on that bond obviously when you get to semi-final or win a league or get to another final like they're doing something right so I, I just got to try and grow on that again I don't know if you remember Park Joyce caused a, um, a bit of a Ferrari um, some waves were made when he went on Galway Bay FM and said we're going to win we're going to win in All-Ireland and that was you know, Park Joyce, a legend of, of Galway football, saying it, and they got very close this year. It took him a long time to get there, but eventually he got very close to dealing it. Are you somebody who believes in that, saying, okay, we're going to win in All Ireland and manifesting it that way, or would you prefer the look? That's up for everybody else to say. What's your What's your instinct about when it comes to something like that? Yeah, like, and you know what, like, like Park Joyce has done a great job. I think he's been fantastic in Galway, and if if that's his approach, that's fine. Um, my approach is like every game we go out to play I want to try and win it and the more of them you win you're in with an opportunity to win everything that's going like I, I, I'd love to win every time we go um, is that possible? I don't know um, I have my own belief I certainly will keep a lot of them for, for the panel um, and whatever happens outside there I'm, I'm sure yourselves and the public will judge it for what it is um, all I put it to this way is my desire now to achieve is as strong as it's ever been. And I mean that sincerely. It is very strong. And I, every time that's inside me, I'll be trying to bring that out um, to get Waterford results and achieve victories. And um, that hunger is massive. And let's be honest with you, where it'll go, I don't know. This is going to sound like a strange question from the outset, Davy. so bear with me for a second. But we were, we were chatting earlier in the show about uh, Eddie Jones, the England rugby manager, talking in the, or interviewed in the, in the Times today, and he referenced a, a trip he took to San Diego a couple of weeks ago to, to meet with some of the US Navy SEALs, and he kind of referenced uh, learnings from the, the operation that killed Osama bin Laden 11 years ago and how he takes that into the game of rugby um, and different things like, I guess it's, it's, it's a question of leadership and managers taking little tidbits of information from, from wherever they want to get it I guess and taking that into their, into their own careers are you, are you a manager who kind of 
uh, you know, does that type of thing that, that picks up little bits here and there from, from other yeah. leader, leaders yeah. in other fields or sports? The day you stop learning is the day you stop growing. Uh, if I was to manage the same way I managed when Clare won in 13, I don't think we have a chance. Um, if I was to manage the same way I managed in Wexford, I don't think we have a chance. Even the last year has allowed me to talk to some other people and maybe get some other insights and um, see how I can become better as, as maybe a person and as a manager. And I think you have to you have to always be prepared to listen and learn. Um, and I think you always have to be prepared to evaluate yourself the same as you evaluate your players. Listen, we wish you the very best of luck with the, the new season. I hope it's a massive smash hit for you again, as I've no doubt it will be. And best of luck with Waterford too. It's great to have you back. Lads, thanks very much and hopefully you'll, you'll enjoy the show us on the night. No doubt. Davy Fitz, thanks a million. Cheers. Thank you guys. Bye-bye. It's uh, Davy Fitzgerald giving us some thoughts there. At 8.50 this morning, OTBIM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, Connor Joyce says, I don't think losing to a good Scotland team the way we did is a bad result. They have a better midfield and strikers than Ireland do. Our strengths are a goalkeeper and centre-back. We doubt we're, we are festooned with goalkeepers. It's true. Can we play them all? Can we find a yeah. way? I think. Could Bazinga do a job up front for us? We've better depth charted goals than England do. Put it that way. I'd definitely be happier with uh, with Bazunu than I would with any of their their crowd. Uh, Shamrock Rovers are playing a higher level of footballer than half that lot. Says Mixters. He, I presume he means Armenia, does he? <clears throat> You'd imagine. Like even one of the commenters, where's the, where in the pecking order of Irish centre backs would Harry Maguire be? <laughs> I think Harry Maguire still gets a game for Ireland, does he? Like uh, yeah, the, the sub Man, Man United in the back five, he does being involved in the Manchester United team. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, like uh, you know, I mean, obviously he does. Uh, I think we shouldn't kid ourselves. Uh, JP Wright says Parrot needs a goal tonight to remove the thought of that awful miss in Hamden from his head. Uh, that would definitely be helpful. He also says Harry Maguire has never recovered from the Greek incident. He needs to take a break from football and get his head sorted. Uh, it wasn't. Was that that was after the World Cup? Was it or yeah, like, after the Euros? It's so, so long it was ago. That, it was straight away after the Euros, wasn't it? Yeah, so. yeah. But it, it's hard. Before, to it was the year before the Euros. All right, so he has played good football since. There you go. The odd time. Yeah, look, time is a flat circle. If it happened during COVID, it didn't happen. <laughs> it happened sometime around the mid. I don't know. Twenty twenty. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Uh, those who expect our current crop of players to rival the deeds of Charlton's team, says Fergus Kyo, will never be happy. Kenny's looking to the future, and hopefully, we'll be allowed to take us there. Ballon Dorson says Southgate has pandered to the favourites for too long and failed to blood other players that's why he has no options he has tried to blood some players they just they, they got like I mean I, I don't pay that much attention to the English national football team um, there's, there's more in your life generally but they got hammered uh, by Hungary yeah well that was that was the game where you started to question everything that Southgate was doing you were like this is this is the turning point um, and then the fact that they haven't won in six, in six games first time in 29 years I think that's happened so results it's a results business Jer and heading to a World Cup even more so uh, Danny Max says Ireland have stopped producing top level players one or two would make all the difference who's to blame well you know I mean we, there's, as Nathan keeps pointing out there's that lost generation where Alan Brown is the only player who's come through from the Hendrick Brady to the 20-21-year-olds, 20, 22-year-olds. Mm. Like, there's nothing in between apart from Alan Brown. He made the point for there was six or seven under-15s that only one player made it to the national squad mm. out of. And, I mean, that's a bit of an issue. 
Um, I'm hoping for what I'm hoping for tonight is the feel good of the quarter past six kickoff of the under 21s leading into the 7:45. So you get the we'll hopefully have the under 21s there or thereabouts into the, the the European Championships. Really interested to read Jim Crawford as well talking about the fact that this could go to penalties for the 21s tonight. He they practice penalties in Dublin as opposed to practicing them um, when they landed in Tel Aviv because he was fearful of staff and people on the pitch filming and kind of spying on the on the penalty shootout. He said every single member of the squad has been practicing penalties back in Dublin, uh, but they refused to do it in Israel for fear of uh, for fear of being watched, which I thought was interesting. I mean, Fair enough, probably. Um, but good to hear that he is practicing penalties because it's not a lottery. Hashtag not a lottery. No. Uh, Maguire was overhyped, opposed to being off form. The ability was elevated by the media and his agent, but the reality and truth comes out in the end, says Michael. Uh, 80 million quid, you bought a turkey, man, you're not at well done. 8.54 this morning, Carl Milani's with us. Carl, good morning to you. How good are you? Morning, lads. How's it going? What's going on? Oh, good, yeah. Can't complain. Looking forward to tonight. Uh, Shane you? said, it's, it's interesting that the kickoffs overlap a little bit. Mm. So uh, we've got to, I think we stick with the under-21s until the conclusion there and see how it goes. Yeah. They've had a great campaign. I've actually followed them uh, been at a couple of the games and um, really good side uh, Jim Crawford is a really good manager and they've got a real uh, sense of uh, togetherness I think that's quite important and you would hope that a lot of the players would make their step up to the senior level uh, in the years to come but to reach a European Championship I mean that's a much bigger game in my head tonight than, than the Ireland senior yeah. game did you see the Ross Tierney goal on social media after yeah, training? Yeah, I mean, they've got real quality um, and they're, they're without some guys through injury as well. Like Liam Kerrigan is injured, uh, picked up a, a bad injury, um, but obviously bringing Aaron Connolly back in then has, has given it a new lease of life. And the the backroom team as well, John O'Shea has been involved. So it's, uh, it's all good. Uh, I thought they played quite well last Friday. Yeah. Um, probably disappointed not to be taking a lead into the game uh, tonight. Connolly could have scored. Two or three. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the concession of the goal then from a set piece was disappointing. But look, let's hope they can get it done tonight, and even if it is on penalties. And we missed the first half of the Aviva match. Yeah. The thing I enjoyed with that Ross Tierney goal was, was that it was John O'Shea that crossed the ball over to him. This, I think he said, This is for you, Rossi. Just. And it was just the, the the angle from behind the kick was just. Yeah. It was one of those, and he went off the Alan Shearer celebration with the hand in the air. Um, like that's where the social media needs to be there they're obviously filming everything in these training sessions 21s and, and, and first team and the women's team as well yeah. uh, to catch all these moments but um, a little nugget an ex-Bose player as well Ross Tierney's another one of those players who could probably I'd like to see some of them get into the the senior panel for the friendlies coming up in November you'd imagine Smallbone and Coventry maybe closer the thing than is, is, it, is, is it better to be in the senior squad and maybe not playing or would you rather play with the under 21 oh, no, to get play with the under 21 I think so too yeah, yeah. Like, there's no under 21's window to, to overlap with those games against Norway and Malta so there, there's an opportunity to thrust them into the team Yeah, see what, the, see, see what happens see what sticks give them experience maybe I don't know um, but first first things first let them let them do the business yeah absolutely yeah um, I, I, I don't know I think that we should hasten, let them, let them hasten, play 21's hasten slowly for now like let's let Evan Ferguson play some football that's men's football for a while before we stick him in the team well, you forget Ferguson's 17 like, yeah, yeah, cause like yeah. Let's, let's all cool the Jets a little bit because yeah. we, we we on this show have been prone to like stick him in the team put him in <laughs> put him in the team and then you put them in the team and things go well for a game because the adrenaline is absolutely surging through and then the second and third games are really hard and then there's like a period where they're missing chances and you know it's, it's been too much too soon for Aaron Connolly we, yeah. we, you know, the two goals in the Premier League match, too much too soon. But he's five years older than Ferguson. He, like, he, no, look, he's I, now at the age where he, he needs should to. be there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, look, um, 
but definitely there are lessons to be learned from the thrusting the kids in uh, a little bit early in their development when they're just not quite ready from a maturity level. They can be absolutely ready from a physical level and they can be ready to stick, stand up to uh, whatever punishment they're going to get. But if you can't deal with the, the aftermath of it from a psychological perspective, then, you know, maybe... Someone needs to be. Let's be careful with this. My fear with them tonight, and it's the only fear, is that they, they had the final group game against Italy in order to you know get, get a result, and they could have qualified without the playoffs. Didn't mm. get it. Was the fear of being so close to the to the championships maybe in the back of their minds? But maybe having that experience of that game on the other, you'd hope so. I mean, they got hammered that night. Yeah, it was four yeah, one. It was never so, close. Um, it's not like they can be thinking, oh, we, if it wasn't just for that dodgy yeah. refereeing decision that has robbed Irish football again. But that wasn't the case in that instance. They were just outclassed. So. I was reading as well tonight that it's the the Jewish New Year celebrations, Rosh Hashanah. They obviously moved the game to the National Stadium, twenty nine thousand seater, which and it's a bank holiday, which which means that they're hoping for a. They've, for, they've brought some senior players back into the, the squad thing as well, as well. like intimidating atmosphere. But but then does that add pressure to the Israeli players as well? The fact that they're maybe more eyes on them as well and, and and better players in the squad. I don't know. Conor Coventry was kind of playing it down and saying it's probably putting more pressure on the Israelis than us. But I guess he's going to say that. But it it adds a bit more to the occasion tonight being in a bigger stadium and. Israel basically with their full squad as well so remains to be seen let's stay confident yeah look here's the thing we'd have a much stronger team if all of the available players who aren't playing for the senior team were playing for the so it it matters a bit but we just want some of these players to be able to make it to the international senior team and yeah. you know so there's um, the the Malaysian the team the Brian Kerr team that went to Malaysia is at the game tonight yeah. um, and not that many of them made it all the way to the senior international team so while going to tournaments is great and it's good for us and it really helps the football culture and it helps raise money for um, whatever you know like the FAI could definitely do with that as a look everything is going in the right direction ultimately what matters is whether or not these players are going to be capable of playing senior international football and it feels like several of them will be able to um, in time and to me that's more important than qualifying tonight I know not to rain on all your praise but (laughs) I think like this is this is the time to do it. I mean, I know they've never qualified for this tournament before at this age grade, but it's going to dictate. It's funny how football dictates all of our moods, collective moods in this country. Those who are into sport, but like when we're sitting in here tomorrow morning, we're either going to be absolutely buzzing off two results. You'd imagine seniors are going to get the going to get the job done. I'd be shocked if they didn't. But if if the under twenty ones can qualify as well, yeah, we're going to be, be buzzing. A bit of a shock. It'll be a bit of a shock. If Slight shocks. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all to play for. But I, I think they're, I think they can do it. I know it's it's a bit of an intense atmosphere over in Tel Aviv for them, but it's nothing that these players aren't used to. So a lot of them have played Premier League football and first team football for, for whatever teams they're at. So best of luck to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Armenia nine to one to win tonight, so it would be a bit of a shock. Well, since since the Ireland game, they've conceded fourteen goals and scored one, lost yeah, all four been games. Absolutely useless. Shit show. So, they so, have been absolutely useless. But that might mean that they sit that bit deeper tonight. <laughs> Yeah, well, they, that's true. They try and, you know, if they grind out a nil all draw, I think it's the manager's last game, or it's supposed to be his last game as well. Um, you know, yeah, <laughs> I know. Not going to remember. <laughs> the script is written, is yeah. what you're saying, and like the fact that the f- just the, the fact that they've beaten us before gives, even regardless of what's happened since, the fact that they beat us in Yerevan means they're going to have confidence that they can go do it again. Well, they'll certainly be taking shots from distance. <laughs> That's, I expect them to be taking a lot of shots from uh, yeah. distance which you know I mean a good shot from distance not much you can do about it uh, Barry Parris says the simple facts Kenny will be gone at the end of June because it's clear he ain't up yo the job at this level he can't or won't react to changes in the matches 
Uh, okay, okay, Barry. We have to see what we obviously. Yeah, are you happy about that, Barry? Is that what you want to happen? Like, do you think it's good for us if that happens? Is that your favourite outcome? Is that what you would desire? Is that what you, your heart wants? The heart wants what the heart wants, Barry. So you tell us what you want. But if you want Kenny to be gone because he can't make changes in game, there is a lot of that. There's a lot of people camped encamped in a certain um, area with with either for or against Kenny, and they're not changing their mind for anything. So they do want to see him fill. Um, which is, which is very harsh and, and not good to see either. If you're an Irish fan, you obviously want the team to succeed, even if you're not, even if you didn't support the manager being hired in the first place, you kind of want to see him succeed. Like, we have to wait and see what, what the, the qualifying group is in, on Sunday week in Frankfurt. Um, who do we get? Do we get a five team or a six team group? You probably want the bigger group, so you get a team like an Andorra or a Faroe Islands or someone to knock the confidence into you, but. Then again, that's only irrelevant. Those are irrelevant games at the end of it. So we're third seeds. We know that for a fact. Um, I'm kind of scared about what what kind of group we get. As long as it's as long as we don't get the, the Welsh and the Georgians and the the teams were sick to the teeth of playing. I mean, Gareth Bale retiring after the World Cup. I'd take Wales. I would uh, take maybe, Wales now. maybe. I'd probably take Georgia again now, just to give us an opportunity to see what we can do. Anyway, Neil McEnany says, I'm loving this young Ireland team. Let's see what happens with the Euros. Until then, get behind them. Mm. Uh, David Murphy says, is Shane going to be doing a World Cup show every day of the World Cup like he did for the Euros last year? Good question. I don't know. We should do something. It's eight weeks away, so better get, her, uh, <laughs> better get the studio polished. Uh, Gray Mouser says, three goals without Sterling on the field, two goals with Maguire. Nothing to see here. Um, I'm not quite sure who you're getting at there uh, if it's like drop the two of them maybe and somebody who has uh, anointed themselves OTB commenter I, I like what you did there a better goalkeeper death than England come on lads and just give me a bazunu over the three that they had in the squad last night I yeah. think like uh, I mean I, I, I don't know what's, what's the story with Ramsey why, why isn't he getting the Ramsdale, he, well, Ramsdale. The, fact that, the fact that I don't know actually and I said, I said it to the lads in the office today like he's he should be ahead of Pope at least. Um, now, obviously, Pickford tends to up his game when he plays for England, um, but he has been playing reasonably well for Everton he as well. He was good in the Merseyside derby. Yeah, yeah so, right. so you kind of can't can't drop in this stage. Carl, what else? Uh, well, the football tonight. So the under twenty ones against Israel kicks off at a quarter past six. Then the senior men's side in the Nations League against Armenia at the Aviva from seven forty five. The under nineteens as well in action in Euro qualification. They take on Hungary from six o'clock uh, this evening. Shamrock Rovers five points clear at the top of the SSE Electricity League Premier Division this morning. They beat UCD by a goal to nil last night. While England played out that three all draw with Germany in the Nations League. Northern Ireland in action this evening away to Greece. That two kicks off at seven forty five. Uh, in snooker today, the first round proper of the British Open uh, gets underway. Mark Williams among those in action. Mark Allen uh, on the table as well this morning. And in racing, an eight-race card at Cork this afternoon. The first is off at 25 past one. Lena Maguire is in the paper today saying that she thinks it's very important for the Irish Open to get a summer slot. I think it was like touch and go whether or not Leona was going to make it. She's obviously sponsored by KPMG. They sponsored the whole tournament. So I think ultimately um, it was for the best that she did come because... She made sure that there were people on the gate. I'm not sure that um, they would have got... Oh, Leona Maguire made the tournament, pretty yeah. much. Um, I think the crowds were something like 24,000 for the weekend. 10,000 on Sunday was a fantastic attendance. And I think in those same comments that Maguire made, that she commented that some of the players felt that there was a major championship atmosphere around, given the people that were there in the crowd. So a hugely encouraging start for the new incarnation, if you like, of the Women's Irish Open. And the scheduling like the men's event is so important if you can get it around a time of year when the players are in this part of the world and you might get more LPGA Tour players 
is the is the is the key. So basically, try and steal the week before the British Open. Yeah. Absolutely, uh, it's a bit like the Scottish Open and the Irish Open on the on the DP World Tour now at the moment. Um, but you know you have to give great credit to the people of uh, County Clare as well and Drummond Castle. The venue was superb. The weather played ball pretty much all week, and the fact that Maguire was in contention uh, was was crucial to definitely viewing numbers. I would imagine on television on Sunday and the people that were thronging the course as well with the ten thousand people there and about two thousand I think followed Maguire around. So. Uh, all in all, great week, and uh, let's hope it goes from strength to strength, and potential maybe to move it around different venues in different parts of the co- country then as well as, as it develops down through the years. We've loads of brilliant golfers playing at the collegiate level in the states who obviously couldn't come because it's peak states collegiate uh, time, um, and if they could all play in the Irish Open, they would also also add numbers. Of course, absolutely, and for a chance for those players to play on home turf, I guess as you say, they're playing. Uh, across the Atlantic quite a lot and maybe people here don't realise the extent of their talent because they're playing over there and they maybe don't have as many opportunities here so to play in front of TV cameras uh, in their National Open would be a huge incentive for them to get back so I'm sure there will be work going on to try and get it into a, a better part of the schedule and the fact that it went so well can only stand them in good stead uh, going forward the organisers and everything, everybody involved So, th- but the key really is to keep Leona Maguire uh, at the forefront and keep her right. happy make sure that it fits in with her schedule yeah. and then uh, decide what the day's going to be on the basis of like she's basically uh, Irish women's golf version of Tiger Woods so <laughs> you got to whatever she wants fix it for her yeah. um, right good stuff Carl thanks, thanks for that. 6 minutes past 9 OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today uh, OTB Gold is Nigel Mansell at 1 o'clock Dadcast from 3 Stephen Elliott's career retrospective at 4 and Jason Sherlock is OTB Gold from 6 make sure you follow OTB across all our social channels at Off The Ball on Twitter Facebook.com forward slash Off The Ball at Off The Ball on Instagram and um, at Off underscore The underscore Ball on TikTok and the best place to get us, of course, is on the uh, OTB app. Now, we're back after these with the BBC rugby correspondent Chris Jones talking to us about why the English Premiership side Worcester Warriors have been put into administration. OTB AM. It's eight minutes past nine. You're very welcome back. Now, I'm delighted to say Chris Jones, BBC rugby correspondent, is with us to explain what's going on in the Premiership and specifically with Worcester Warriors at the moment. Chris, good morning to you. How are you? Yeah. How, how's it going, guys? You OK? Yeah. Um, this is... On the face of it, it's a complex, complex story uh, on one side, but on the other, it's uh, quite a straightforward story. Um, somebody has spent too much money somewhere, and as a result, uh, it looks like the, the club may be on the verge of extinction. Can you maybe just give a quick potted history for uh, our listeners and viewers who are coming to this a little bit cold to, to bring us up to speed? What happened? Yeah, I suppose if we go back to what people would know about Worcester Warriors you know traditionally you think of Worcester Warriors you think of Cecil Duckworth a local business businessman um, who loved the club poured millions of his own pounds into making Worcester a sustainable premiership club and really bringing them from the lower leagues to a to a side that was competing for, for trophies and bringing in some some world-class players you know um, the likes of, of Chris Latham and, and other major superstars coming to Worcester a lot of that coming down to Cecil Duckworth and his vision for Worcester um, and since he um, hasn't been in, in control of the club there has been a few years of, of kind of turbulence in the boardroom with different consortiums coming in and then for the last few years there's been these two um, businessmen owning Worcester and uh, eventually that the dam has burst these guys have 
you know, will deny a lot of the accusations that are sent their way. But there's absolutely no doubt that they, they've run the club into the ground. And it kind of came to a head about six weeks ago, roughly, when they um, defaulted on a payment to HMRC. They owe about six million quid in unpaid tax. They were paying it back a you know, few hundred grand a month. And they defaulted on a payment. HMRC wanted their money. They weren't able to. And for the last six weeks, it's just been one thing after the other. One broken promise after another. We thought when the, the premiership was launched that, that Worcester might have enough money just to keep going until a buyer um, was found but that hasn't materialised and as it stands or the last 24, 48 hours they simply haven't had, had enough money to even insure six ways so they had to close the ground that the caretaker and his wife who, who lived at the ground had to move out desperate state of affairs um, they finally got into administration which is the solution I think most people wanted to get everything out on the table and then try and find a way forward um, and now we're in this kind of holding pattern where, where Worcester being suspended um, from all leagues men's team women's team uh, grade A age grade sides um, and we wait to see the outcome of that administration process over the next few weeks okay. uh, to, how long will that take was, was going to be one of my questions and, and in the meantime what happens do they just cease to be a functioning premiership team well as it stands they're suspended and it's it's limbo land again because from a sort of macro level it's it's a rotten look for the premiership isn't it it was it, to to even to start the league Worcester to play three times and now maybe those games to have to, I don't know, are those results expunged? What happens if they can't fulfill their fixtures going forward? The hope is that an administrator comes in. And there, there are a couple of interested parties out there, one of whom is headed up by the former Worcester chief executive, Jim O'Toole, an Irish guy. And he's confident that if the administration process runs its course, they've got enough money, him and his partners, uh, to run the club going forward and then to get it back on a sustainable footing. So there is hope out there this is not the end for Worcester. It's pretty likely they'll get relegated. Our RFU regulations dictate that a side does get relegated if they go into administration, unless they can prove that this is a no-fault administration, and that's down to COVID. But given the stuff that's been going on pre-COVID um, and the way the owners have run the club, the money they've put in or the lack of money they've put in, I think it might be quite hard for Worcester to prove that this was a no-fault administration, which means that even if Worcester can finish this domestic season, they will then get relegated to the championship, which does then throw a lot of the premiership plans into turmoil because the hope was to make it a four-team league a 14-team league going forward and that clearly won't happen if Worcester are relegated You touched on this uh, already there Chris but but um, like Eddie Jones this week was asked about it as well the whole situation and his, his um, response essentially was it's a time where the competition needs to look at itself and I'm sure it will like this is this is a really bad luck for the English premiership as a whole It's a terrible look because there's a strong argument out there to say Hold on. If, if Worcester have been such a, a concern going forward, why did they start the league? Um, and that was because the owners would have given reassurances to Steve Diamond, the director of rugby, to those at Premiership Rugby, that they, they did have the money to fund the club going forward. And they did have an interested buyer to buy the club with all its debts not going into administration. But that hasn't happened. So I think the, the broken promises are the, are the things that really get the staff down at Worcester. And you've got to feel so sorry for... A, not just the players, but the staff who are, who are earning significantly less money than the players and in some cases haven't been, been paid at all. But you're right, it's a bad look for the league. 
whether it needs a complete root and branch reform of what the league is and what it stands for, I'm not so sure. I still think the Premiership is a great competition, but clearly something needs to be done about how to keep it sustainable. Are the players being paid too much? Are the squads too big? Is the league too big? Are there too many matches? Could the Premiership rugby have more independent regulatory power to commercialise the league better? Should there be a second tier, a viable second tier? What does the RFU have to do with that? Loads and loads of questions that I think are being asked and hopefully can get get answered going forward to avoid another situation we're in now. That does sound a little bit like a root and branch examination of of how viable the league is and and maybe maybe it's no harm for that to happen at at that level because while this is happening, Wasps appear to be in fairly similar trouble. Wasps are in trouble as well and it it comes back to an unpaid tax bill but also Wasps have got themselves in a sticky situation over this bond about... six years ago or so just after the rico move or a couple of years after the rico move they um they they raised a bond of 35 million quid which they were meant to be paying back earlier this year and that's not materialized where i think wasps is a different situation to worcester is a as far as i'm aware the players are still getting paid there may be the odd late payment over the years but they are still getting paid there is still money to run the club to what in the last few weeks worcester have had no money to even get a bus to premiership grounds they've had no money to get names on the back of their shirts they've had no money to put petrol in the cars of the staff who are going to on club business so worcester was a has been a complete and utter mess for for weeks wasps is in a mess but they're they're still funding the club going forward they're in this kind of holding pattern again as they wait for you know they're in the, they've they've filed for um intended administration but they're hoping over the next few weeks to maybe um sort out the the, the club going forward um where WAS have really been hit harder than Worcester is, I think, by COVID, because WAS business model was based on the Rico Arena and all the money that could generate through the hotel, through the casino, and that all shut down through COVID. I think they hoped, along with a lot of Premiership clubs, the TV deal would have been bigger than it was. Big old TV deal for the Premiership in 2013 and then 2015-16. They didn't renew on the same kind of uplift they would have hoped. So the money coming into the league the last few years has not been exponentially rising in line perhaps with club costs add in covid add in the fact the rico's been shut down um add in that bond which has been a risk that hasn't paid off and that's where where what was some reasons why what's where they are you, you mentioned covid there chris and, and like um, i think i'm right in saying the rfu can reduce or waive these sanctions if you know if it's deemed that the administration was out of the club's control uh, in worcester's case you know, is that something that, that maybe shines a light of hope at the end of the tunnel for Worcester or is that reading too much into it? I think Worcester will struggle to argue that. They'll have to appeal to the RFU. As it stands, they're going to get relegated. You know, the regulations dictate that Worcester will get relegated um, as of next season. They can, they can, maybe they could, I don't know, they could argue that the owners have led them so far down the garden path that it's only those two guys who have messed everything up and everyone else at the club has been none the wiser. But, you know, they're the owners of the club. Um, they're the directors and, you know, every club is sort of slightly beholden to who runs it. So I'm not sure how that will pan out. And as for the COVID thing, stuff's been going on at Worcester pre-COVID in terms of how that club is run that they might find that quite hard to prove was could be could be a different matter given the the, the money they would have lost through COVID because of the how, how much they would get incoming um, to the Rico in any given you know day day or weekend but again that bond was raised six seven years ago and if the bond has been the big reason behind their their big debt um, and they use the bond to refinance moving to the Rico then then or now the CBS arena then they might struggle as well so there, there is that that option but I'm not entirely sure um, that will will be successful if I 
either club um, were to were to try and argue that, although we are in un- uncharted water, so we, we can't say for sure. Are there other clubs who might be struggling financially at the moment? Does this speak to a wider problem? Yeah, I think there's a bit of a split in the league, to be honest, guys. I think if you look at a club like Harlequins, you can't get a ticket at the Stoop for love or money at the moment. You know, they've got plans um, perhaps to put on hold a bit by COVID, but to expand their stadium. I think Northampton are on a, a reasonable financial footing. I think Leicester will always be OK because of the size of their support and the size of their stadium and the strength of the Tigers brand. Bristol, their gr- crowds are going up. They're in fine fettle under Steve Lansdowne, their, their billionaire owner who's poured so much of his own personal wealth into Bristol sport um, and then you look at Bath with Bruce Craig still you know in charge of the purse strings there and they've got good money behind them so you've got five or six clubs and I may have missed out one or two who are in a pretty solid state then you've got others who you do fear for a bit their crowds are down at five six thousand they've got owners who are doing their best but maybe don't quite have the financial means of a of a Steve Lansdowne for example so I think you can almost look at the league in two parts those who are going to be okay and those who might feel the pinch as, as COVID and the impact of it really starts to bite the cost of living the energy crisis and all that so yeah Worcester and Wasps are hopefully the only two to go into into this kind of strife but there are certainly one or two others out there who aren't finding it easy at all so it, there definitely seems like there's a there's a tears where the billionaire or the near billionaires and um, I don't know how rich Bruce Craig is but he's very rich it's hundreds of millions anyway um, those guys are putting money in is the league sustainable without the sugar daddies like are there enough teams who could you could just oh. yeah I realise this is very um, well, uh, existential yeah, philosophical question I suppose you could argue yeah it is it is it's professional sport you know can professional sport exist without any private money without any private equity or any uh, private finance as things stand. There aren't too many examples out there of of sports that are completely and utterly self, um, self-sufficient. I think Premiership Rugby have a big ambition to get to that direction, that they can't rely on the generosity and the benevolence of these kind of figures who have financed the club game for a long time. And I think they financed the club game into a pretty healthy position. You know, I still think that when you look at the, the product the Premiership's putting out, and it maybe will take a bit of a dip over the next few seasons with the salary cap coming down from kind of up towards 7 mil to 5 mil, and that's lower than a lot of URC sides. So Premiership clubs are going to have to cut their cloth. But when you look at the, the rivalry um, and the support, I know it's been down a bit recently. I still think this is a great product, but you're, you're quite right to ask the question, do we need to look at player salaries? Do we need to look at coach salaries? the number of backroom staff, the number of matches, how the league is commercialised. I think this this whole episode will lead to a lot of questions for the governing bodies and the individual clubs to answer. And also this point we just need to mention about the fit and proper persons in order to run a rugby club. If you're going to come and buy a rugby club, the RFU, who are the main regulators, they need to have much more stringent checks on who these people are because I don't think there was these, there were enough proper checks in place um, before these guys got into Worcester to, to, to actually ascertain whether they were going to be able to take the club going forward. So the RFU needs to look at their processes too. And is there even any conversation being had around fan ownership and a model that might be more sustainable into the future, the, the German football model of the 50 plus one? Oh, I, 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 imagine, I imagine everything's got to be on the table. Um, I've not really, you know, the, the, the question will always rumble around about central contracts in England just because it, it 
feels in some quarters as, as if it was a big opportunity missed in 1995 or 96 when the, the clubs were sort of told by the RFU, go and do your own thing. I, I would worry about central contracts and the impact that might have on the league, given that already the clubs are without some of their best players for, for half the season. England time seems to constantly encroach on the club game. So I think central contracts would only make that worse, even though it could alleviate some of the financial pressure on clubs who at the moment are paying lots of money for England players who are also making a packet um, with their match fees from the RFU. So that perhaps needs to be looked at. You know, not every club is reliant on a sugar daddy. You know, look at um, Leicester, for example. That's, you know, for, for years was a PLC model and, and was was very much reliant on having a big crowd coming into Welford Road of 20,000 plus and, and having a very vibrant Tigers brand. So I don't think it always has to be just about the private money. But, you know, clearly, you're dead right to ask the question. It's got to the point whereby... The, the the pressure on the owners to finance the club has probably got too much. Uh, you mentioned the um, the central contracts there, and I know one of the things is that uh, a lot of uh, club fans want to go and see the best players week in, week out, and then they're not available because they're on international duty. That's a constant tension with the game of rugby because how many games can a professional rugby player play each season without missing a large portion due to injury and that tension is is always going to be there are they getting better in England at managing that so that for the big games more players are available more often or is it actually going the wrong direction well, it's a major contradiction, isn't it? I mean, us guys who, who love love the sport and, and spend our lives commenting on the sport, half the time we're saying there need to be fewer matches and half the time we're saying England players need to play more for their clubs. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a circle that can't really be squared or a square that can't really be circled because w- w- what's, the, what's the answer? Now, there are more international games than there ever have been. England have got another four games this autumn. That's because they need an extra November fixture to raise some more money that goes back into the club game. Fine, but that means... That South Africa game at the end of the autumn is going to be South Africa without all of their players who play in the Prem and won't get released. So it's not really an England South Africa game, is it? So it's, it's international in all, but but it's not it's an international light. So I think most people would agree that out of window test matches are rubbish. That there's nothing to be gained from out of window test matches either for the international fans or for the club fans. However, they bring crucial money to finance the community game, for example, in England. And this is the problem we're in in rugby, isn't it? There are so many solutions that could be made for the better of the game as a whole, whole, but everyone is going to do what they need to do to survive on a short-term micro level. You know, you look at, say, the Nations Championship, which they hope would get up and running by now. It keeps getting pushed back because every, you know, every, you know, there's a partner here or a stakeholder there who's got a TV deal that runs to 2026, for example. So if there is a Nations Championship, it can't come into 2026 because of a TV deal in the Southern Hemisphere. And that's fine. That's their own deal. And that's got to be honoured. But everyone is doing their own thing. And I think more than ever, we've got the right administrators in the room in rugby union at the moment. But we're still going to be hamstrung by the fact that what's good for someone on the short term basis is not going to be good for the game as a whole when you look at the bigger picture and that is something that's been dogging the administration of rugby union for well for decades one sorry one last question i was going to ask you just um Stuart lancaster has obviously signed for racing and did his press um confirming it that he'd be leaving leinster at the end of the season i'm still very surprised that nobody in england has like managed to convince him that their project is the one that he should align with because he's had such an impact on Leinster over the last six years, stretching into his seventh year now. Where does he stand at the moment in terms of the English coaching hierarchy and and what is the perception amongst the Premiership clubs in particular about him? Highly rated, really highly rated. And it's it's so tough for Stuart Lancaster and his coaches that, that they had to kind of 
you know have that that shadow of 2015 hanging over them for so long but I think they've they've managed to get rid of that well and truly by now when you look at the great work Andy Farrell has been doing with the Ireland national team Graham Roundtree's now got a top job at Munster um, and Mike Cat has been as it has been doing his thing at Italy and Ireland as well so they've all repaired their reputations and much more I think with Lancaster some of that is is personal I'm not sure if he necessarily wants to come back to England yet I think maybe in the fullness of time he'd like to do a DOR job but um, I, I wonder whether he would be looking for a return to the international fold with a you know maybe a, a bit of a sleeping giant like an Australia or a Scotland but those jobs aren't available and they're locked in and then jobs may change depending on the World Cup so if you are looking at your long-term future as Lancaster or short-term medium future whatever he's going to be thinking right well my contract's up with Leinster great opportunity opportunity in Paris let's take it's still a young guy only in his early 50s you know you've got Eddie Jones past 60 you've got you know other other uh, big hitting coaches on the world stage who are, who are past 60 so he's got a lot of miles left in the tank and I think this is a sensible move for him to, to get a bit more club experience before either trying to land a big international job or coming back to England but I think it's this is as much uh, Lancaster wanting just to, to broaden his horizons constantly than than the English clubs not wanting him because certainly I think over the last few years there would have been offers from English clubs to bring him back. Yeah it's interesting too that it's a four year deal with Racing which takes us nicely up to whatever happens at the end of the next World Cup at which point there will be mm. no doubt uh, good countries who will need some um, international managers uh, or international coaches so yeah it, it is interesting that um, uh, that timing do you, do you want it again there Shane? Yeah no just just to bring it back to, to Worcester for one second Chris I was just thinking there while you were talking about the fact that it kind of puts sporting fandom into perspective a little bit in, in a sense like I know a lot of truth telling is going to come out now around Worcester and we're going to probably see the, the tiny financial details that, that led to this moment but it certainly is is, a, is, is something that, that really because you forget about the fans sometimes because you think about the players and their wages and, and how the, the financial situation has led to this point but it really puts sporting fandom in perspective because at the end of the day that's what the sport's all about Sure 100% couldn't agree more Shane I think we've had that we've been reminded of that a fair bit over the last few years with COVID haven't we and when you know I don't know if you guys covered games in empty stadia but I did a fair few and it wasn't a particularly enjoyable experience you were lucky to be there because everyone else was was, was locked out but you know sport without fans is is nothing and I think it probably has, has grounded a lot of oh, look the Worcester players have been magnificent throughout all this I had a long chat with, with one of their key men Matt Kovacic the other day I was so impressed by his stoicism and, and humility and, and and, you know how he spoke about the situation so I, I, I w- I'm loath to say the players have been humbled by this because I think they've always been pretty humble but I think they have been reminded of what about why they do this you know what the club means to Worcester people what it means to the city um, and I think there might be a bit of a, a, a redoubled effort now from players to go okay this is not just about us and our wages and us making as much money as we can and then retiring. Of course, they've got to think of themselves as a short career. Their bodies and brains are on the line, as we know. But maybe this episode will just lead to a real collaboration between all parties involved in the sport to go, look, we do it for the fans, we've, but we've also got, got a responsibility to sell it ourselves. If our wages are going up, is the money coming in? We can't just take our pay packet and be oblivious to what's going on because it is real consequences as the guys at Worcester and Wasser are finding out. So if it leads to more aware players um, and, and an RPA, a players union, that might go, OK, the salary cap has to stay at five million for a few seasons. Let's get back sustainable. Let's get back on a level, level footing. Let's have constant dialogue with our owners, constant dialogue with our chief executive and start to have a far more uh, collaborative, symbiotic approach. And maybe that could be the, the good thing to come out of this, um, this horrible episode. 
Uh, what's Eddie Jones standing at the moment? Uh, has he managed to recover from the bit where everybody was calling for him to be fired because of a few wins? Yeah, I think the, the Australia series has um, secured his job through to France 2023. Uh, I, I'm confident, not confident, I'm sure that if they'd lost that series and gone down 3-0, there would have been major decisions that would have to be made at Twickenham. Certainly the noises from Twickenham were not of total and utter unwavering support with Eddie Jones pre that tour and after that first test, but they very much are after that series win. Whatever you say about Australia, whatever, ninth in the world, that's still a team that has pushed New Zealand, that's beaten South Africa, um, and it was a good series win for England. Um, And I think Eddie Jones, with the way he's just starting to tinker with the squad, bringing some young players... Um, move some players on. This is kind of when he's in his element. As long as he can just about keep the, the squad together in that year before the World Cup, when it comes into World Cup year, this is what Eddie Jones does. We saw it in 2018 going into 2019. He rode out a, a, a torrid 2018 to deliver in large parts of 2019. So this is where Eddie Jones earns his corn. And this 2023 or this October through to October is when we're going to really find out whether the whole Eddie Jones eight-year project has been a success or not. It it all will come down to France 2023. He's made that his day-to-day aim, and the RFU have backed him on it. So, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll find out in a year's time uh, or just over whether it's all been worth it. Yeah, the World Cup is hanging over literally every single conversation we have about rugby (laughs) for the next 12 months. Almost uh, too much. What do you reckon? It feels sometimes like almost too much focus on a World Cup, but now we're almost at the year of the World Cup. It feels we can talk about it legitimately. I find it I find it a bit sort of um, incongruous uh, when you get a coaches two and a half years out going, oh, we've got 22 more camps to the World Cup. You're like, come on, that's far too, far too far ahead. Yeah. So I think now we can actually, yeah, yeah let, let's focus in as of 2023, bring it on. The one thing I'd say for you, Chris, at least you guys have won it. We've never got past the bloody quarterfinals. So you can imagine our level of obsession with the quarterfinals it's literally all we talk about from the well, time we got I've beaten got a, by New Zealand I've, the last I'm, time I'm, <laughs> well I've got a Welsh dad who would find it very offensive you saying you guys have had England um, but yeah I think it's I know exactly what you mean it's I, I feel a bit for Ireland because they're playing such good rugby a year and out. they've had such a great a year out and does that mean that if it is a quarterfinal exit at the hands of France or New Zealand no disgrace does that mean that this whole 2022 means nothing? I don't know. I kind of think a series win in New Zealand, a triple crown, I still think that should mean something, even if the big dance is where, you know, legends are made and broken. Um, but given the record, I can understand why a lot of Ireland fans, a lot of listeners to this show would be going, come on, just a semi-final, our kingdom for a semi-final. <laughs> just once, come I, on. I, I think we're slowly coming around to your way of thinking, though, Chris, because there's no alternative in our lives, it turns out. Great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Cheers. Always good. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Chris Jones from the BBC there giving us some thoughts. Uh, what do you reckon? <laughs> About the World Cup? <laughs> Does, is everything meaningless unless uh, that one... So it all comes down to like a drop goal at the end of the game. It squirts past the outside of the post yeah. or it dies just over the crossbar yeah. and everything else retrospectively... I think until we get just to a, Until we get to a World Cup semi-final, nothing else matters. Like, we cannot possibly say that we are going to ever get there until we get there. Um, it's the, the promised land well it, I mean it, it's not it's just a semi-final yeah but that's so the, the promised land is actually winning the bloody tournament then once, you, once you get to the semi-final then you're you're, no, you're 80 the minutes away from the World Cup final another 32 years of going oh now we have to get over a semi-final and then we get yeah. to the final and then you went so literally 100 years away did it did it
to do it and then 32 years of being beaten in finals and then we win it it, it is a pain for you'll be dead like, I love Chris's optimism saying that we're nearly in the calendar year of the finals we can really talk about it but we are only in September still so like we've got a few months before we get even get to 2023 the, the, the build up I don't know if oh, we're going to be sick about it but maybe he's right nah. maybe we get to January it's going to be it's going to be proper all hell for leather let's go for it and then we've got the, the Six Nations of course to look forward to as well so we're entitled to uh, to talk about it at this stage it's, it's good it's big right uh, that's your lot today uh, we are live every morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day tomorrow we'll obviously be looking back on how we do tonight against Armenia and how the under 21s do against uh, Israel uh, broadcaster Timmy McCarthy is going to be joining us in studio not downtown for the latest episode of You Had to Be There and much more besides OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar 